Yeah, young Metro don't trust you, I'm gonna shoot you. Hey! I, I, count the guap, count, count, set up shop. Ooh, ooh, fuck the cops, fuck twelve. We ain't worried, not a dog. Diamonds, diamonds. On my wrist, look like McFlurries. All long. And these thotties ain't got manners slurping. I set the game, make an emoji a chain. Ooh, ooh, I set the game, make an emoji a chain. Put on the pedal to change it, the weather, the shit turning into the rain. All right, let's get started here. Saturday, November 5th, 2022. How's everybody doing this weekend? Of course, big election day on Tuesday. So this is the last podcast before then. I'll have lots of election stuff today. Of course, it is BK here. I'm uh, coming at you guys from San Diego, California. Currently 1148 a.m., another beautiful day in America's finest city. Uh, Check me out on Twitter for breaking news throughout the week. At Bravo Kilo Actual, and be sure and look at my Instagram at BK Actual. And why don't we get ahead and get right into it? And this was just coming out. Let's start in Russia, where 13 people have been killed in the Russian city of Kostroma in a nightclub fire. Yeah, another one of these, man. And uh, this was just coming out. It was early their time, so it was just breaking here. In the United States, and this is, of course, a fast-moving story, but let's see what we got here. Um, Reports, early reports, are suggesting the blaze could have been started by a drunk man firing a flare gun on the dance floor. Russia is just insane. But yeah, firefighters fought through the early hours to extinguish that blaze. Uh, It's called the Polygon Bar, P-O-L-I-G-O-N. And they have identified and detained the suspect. Um, And, yeah, they're calling it at least 15 people. And the investigation has opened a criminal case of, quote, causing death by negligence. And if you guys look on social media, you can see all kinds of pictures from inside the burnt-out building. It's completely destroyed inside. The bar had a collapsed roof and burnt-out walls. Authorities said that the fire started at about 2 a.m. local time and was put out by about 7.30 a.m. local time. Yeah, earlier it was 13, but then they found two other people. About 250 people were safely evacuated from the building. Emergency services said that the fire spread out over 3,500 square meters. One firefighter told Russian or regional state television that it took 50 people to extinguish the fire and that they used 20 fire engines. Oh, we have a we have a quote here. Uh, the TASS news agency, presumably that's the regional state agency, citing sources in emergency services, said of the drunk man who may have started the fire, quote, he was spending time in bar with woman, ordered her flowers with flare gun in hands. Then he went to dance floor and fired it, end quote. Um... Polygon, the club, on its website says it, says it it acts as an evening and nighttime, quote, place for recreation and entertainment, end quote. During the daytime, it's a typical Russian stolovaya. That's what they call a casual restaurant serving traditional food, and I guess it turns into a club at night. So, yeah, that's that's completely insane. That was just breaking. So there you go. Let's keep going. Let's go to Pakistan. And talk about Imran Khan yet again, the ex-Prime Minister of Pakistan. Talked about him many times. He was shot at a rally. And 
This is after at least one unidentified man opened fire on his convoy. His aides are calling it a targeted attack. This is one of the most serious outbreaks of political violence targeting a prominent government official since former Prime Minister Benazir Bhutto was assassinated in 2007. And this happened while Khan was in Wazirabad in eastern Pakistan. And this led to a large protest march to the capital of Islamabad. Uh, Khan, remember, he's the former cricket star who became prime minister. He sustained bullet wounds in both legs. He has been moved to the city of Lahore for treatment. Um, they are saying this was 100% an assassination attempt. So if you watch the video, you can see Khan standing with his aides in a container mounted on top of a truck as it moves slowly through a crowd of his supporters. And then you hear the gunshots ring out, and Khan and the others on the truck appeared to duck down. Khan sounds like he's going to be okay. The former health minister named Dr. Faisal Sultan said in a news conference Thursday night that Khan was in stable condition. Several people were injured in this attack, and one person has died. Um, I don't think they, yeah, we don't have the name of the person who died. One suspect has been detained. Kind of remember just a little backstory. If you guys have been listening to the podcast, you probably remember some of this. This is a time of really intense politics in Pakistan. Remember, Khan was removed from office in April in a vote of no confidence after falling out with the country's top military leaders who are widely considered to be the invisible hand sort of guiding Pakistani politics. Khan, back then when he was ousted, claimed that the vote was part of a conspiracy by the country's military establishment and his political opponents to get rid of him. And since then, he's been almost Trump-like holding rallies across Pakistan, and these rallies are drawing thousands of people. So he's making all kinds of speeches, uh, casting himself as a victim of the presence of the military in Pakistani politics and how they run everything and the influence of corrupt politicians. So now Khan writes the New York Times embodies this persona of grievance for hundreds of thousands of his supporters across the country. So yeah, pretty crazy. And let me see anything else about this. I've got a few tabs open on it. Uh, let me see. Let me go to my next one. Because right now, you guys, they're, they're all fighting over there again in the streets. As a matter of fact, his supporters are fighting with the cops. And this is across many different cities. The supporters are blocking major highways, setting fires, fighting with the cops again, who responded with tear gas in one clash outside the capital of Islamabad. Friday, Khan did make a video appearance from a hospital. Sitting in a wheelchair, he said he would resume his protest campaign for early national elections as soon as he recuperates. Pakistani officials deny Khan's accusation that this was a political assassination attempt. and They asserted that religious fanaticism was the motive of the attack on Mr. Khan. And the country's military also condemned Mr. Khan's claims. Uh, a large number of Khan supporters tried to enter Islamabad from neighboring Wallapindi and were stopped by that heavy tear gas shelling. In Lahore, protesters tried to enter the governor's house. Uh, yeah, the, it, Karachi, you guys probably know that. That's the southern port city of Pakistan. At least 20 people arrested there when protesters blocked the main road. So, popping off in Pakistan. What else? 
let's go to France and talk about the racism that erupted in Parliament there. That's right, a Parliament uh, member, what they are calling a far-right lawmaker, shouted a comment about, quote, going back to Africa, end quote, while a black colleague was speaking. This caused immediate outrage. Politicians quickly accused him of racism and denounced the French extreme right for failing to shed its xenophobic roots. 31-year-old Carlos Martin Bilongo, a black lawmaker in the lower house for the far-left France Unbowed Party, was questioning the government about the plight of migrants who were recently rescued as they crossed the Mediterranean to Europe when another lawmaker named Gregor de Fornas of the far-right National Rally Party shouted that someone should, quote, go back to Africa, end quote. Partly because of a quirk of the French language, which spells the pronouns he and they differently, but pronounces them the same, it is not immediately clear if Mr. De Fornas was referring to Mr. Belongo or the migrants in the boat carrying them. I don't know enough French to confirm or deny that. Um, I actually have to point out, I'm kind of shocked. This is like the first New York Times article I can remember where in the same paragraph they say they call a party far right, but they also called a party far left. That's <laughs> like literally never happened before. Um, so Zafornas later told reporters he was referring to the migrants and specifically to the boat, but politicians in the National Assembly, that's France's lower house, they, of course, are claiming this is a racist attack going after uh, Mr. Belongo. I actually have a video here. I wonder if you can... I haven't played this video. I want to hear, hear if you see if you can hear any of this. Let's this is Belongo. Avec la plus grande désinvolture et sans d'autre mérite dans sa vie que d'être né dans un pays en paix. Je vous le dis, nous vous en déplaise, leur vie compte. L'Océan Viking a adressé aujourd'hui sa septième demande d'assistance aux autorités maritimes italiennes. Mal tout aussi proche n'a tout simplement pas répondu aux trois demandes qui ont été adressées. Ce blocage de personnes est une violation grave du droit de la mer et l'évaluation du statut de la nationalité des personnes secourues ne doit pas retarder dûment le débarquement des survivants. I know, I'm still waiting for the partager l'inquiétude de ces migrants à l'heure où la nouvelle première ministre italienne s'est engagée à bloquer leur arrivée des migrants provenance d'Afrique. Quelle sera donc l'action du gouvernement sur ce sujet Quelle forme prendra la coopération avec l'Italie Allez-vous vous saisir de la question de la répartition des migrants avec les autres pays européens comme Malte qui ne répond plus aux demandes de coordination de sauvetage Les personnes secourues se trouvent dans une situation d'urgence absolue. Les prévisions météo indiquent une détérioration significative du climat. Pas du tout. C'est violence. <laughs> there it goes. Okay, so there you go. That's kind of how it sounded. Uh, you couldn't hear it too well, but you heard Belongo speaking, and then uh, all the uh, white liberals uh, get up and start pointing at him. Okay, enough of that. Let us go to Africa and... Talk about the long-running war between Ethiopia and those Tigrayan forces. I've talked about that a lot. 
Well, big news this week. They have agreed to a truce after two years of fighting that has left hundreds of thousands of people dead and millions displaced and facing starvation. This is a kind of a surprise deal, and it came out of peace talks convened by the African Union during the South Africa meetings. So senior officials from both sides shook hands and smiled, and uh, they did sign that agreement to cease those hostilities following 10 days of those peace talks. The deal came one day before the second anniversary of the start of the war on November 3rd, 2020, when tensions between Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed of Ethiopia and the leaders of the country's Tigray region exploded into violence. Remember, Abiy is that Nobel Peace Prize laureate. He initially billed the war as a, quote, law and order, end quote, campaign that he promised would be swift, even bloodless, but as these things do, it quickly degenerated into a conflict accompanied by tons of atrocities, including civilian massacres, gang rape, and the use of starvation as a weapon of war. So the deal, what does it do? Well, it contains a raft of provisions for disarming fighters, permitting humanitarian supplies to reach Tigray, where approximately 5 million people urgently need food aid, and hopefully bring a measure of stability to Ethiopia. Uh, Mediators did warn that it was just the first step in what would most likely be difficult negotiations before a permanent peace could be achieved. Uh, The scale of fighting... In Ethiopia, was pretty remarkable. I mean, the whole world is focused on Ukraine and what's going on there. Um, but in the past, you know, we didn't really. Uh, this podcast was a notable exception, but the media did not really cover what was going on in Northern Africa. I mean, you're saying they're they're saying as many as a half a million people have died as a result of that war in Ethiopia. So, uh, pretty significant. But we'll see how it happens to go because a lot of people aren't really signing on to it too much. Um, a country that played a key role in the fighting was Eritrea, and they were not formally represented in the peace talks. So the leader of Eritrea, some guy named Isaias Afwerki, has for decades harbored a bitter rivalry with the leaders of the Tigray region, and it is unclear if he had signed or agreed to sign that deal in South Africa or if he would withdraw his troops from the region. Equally uncertain is the political reception by the leaders of Ethiopia's ethnic Amhara group who provided crucial political and military support to Mr. Abiy in his campaign against the Tigrayans. They have long claimed that Western Tigray, where Ethiopian forces were accused of ethnic cleansing, rightfully belongs to the Amhara region. Remember, the main Tigrayan group was that Tigrayan People's Liberation Front. They came to power in 1991. They led a rebellion that ousted a Marxist dictator. And then the Tigrayan People's Liberation Front were shunted aside in 2018 after Abiy, who was a former ally, came to power amid a clamor for change in Ethiopia. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't really trust any peace deals signed in Africa because they always seem to be going at it with each other somehow. How about North Korea? They're at it again. They launched 23 missiles, triggering an air raid alarm in the south. 23 missiles. Holy shit. Uh, Yeah, so two dozen missiles Wednesday. 
This is its largest deployment on a single day. And South Korea, in response, fired missiles from fighter jets in the waters near the North Territory. This exchange between the two marked the first time that many missiles, that many missiles had been launched across the Korea's maritime border, though all of them fell into international waters. Lieutenant General Kang Shin Kuchul, the South Korean military's chief director of operations, called the launch, quote, a highly unusual and intolerable act, end quote. Apparently it was enough to trigger air raid sirens um, on a populated island in the south. That was the island of Ulyung, and people had to take cover in there. Imagine hearing air raid sirens is like it's just a regular part of your life. Totally shitty. So the South Korean president, Yoon Suk-yeol, said that the launch was tantamount to violating South Korea's territorial waters. And the Japanese government Thursday morning said a North Korean missile had likely flown over Japan. An alarm was issued in the prefectures of Miyagi, Yamagata, and Niigata. But then pretty soon after that, citizens were told that they no longer needed to stay inside there. Uh, remember, North Korea has conducted 28 weapons tests this year that involved ballistic and other missiles. That is more than in any previous year. And it is in defiance of the United Nations Security Council resolutions that ban the country from testing ballistic missiles as well as nuclear vices. The defense officials in South Korea are still studying the data to determine what kind of missiles these were, but they have said at least seven were ballistic missiles. And then, I guess just for good measure, the North fired about 100 artillery rounds and rockets into a buffer zone just north of the eastern maritime border. What is Okay, just so we can, I guess. Uh, yes. What else about this? The missile launches on Wednesday come after South Korea was mourning the deaths of those more than 150 people in that crowd crush in Seoul. Covered that last week. I have an update on that in a minute. And they also came two days after South Korea and the U.S. began an annual joint military exercise, which this year involved 240 aircraft and thousands of military personnel from both countries. Those planes in that military exercise are expected to perform about 1,600 sorties. That is the most ever for the annual drill. And North Korea says, hey, these drills are practices to invade our country. When the exercises began on Monday, the North protested that the Allies' aircraft were practicing, quote, striking the strategic targets of the DPRK, end quote. And then if you didn't know DPRK, that is the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. That is the official name of North Korea. And you know Kim Jong-un, North Korean leader, has repeatedly vowed to expand the country's nuclear and missile forces. So in recent years, he has turned his attention to testing various shorter-range missiles because those are harder to intercept. And those shorter-range missiles, though, can still deliver nuclear warheads to South Korea and to Japan. So, yeah, no good. South Korea, What is you know, when is the day that the people are just going to have enough of that shit? Or when is the day that South Korea just sends the drone army over there and takes care of Kim Jong-un forever? I don't even know what they're waiting for. You might as well just do it now. Okay, a couple of election news besides ours. We had the Brazil election. Yep. And they did elect fucking former president, the leftist leader, Lula Inácio 
Lula da Silva. I'm sorry, it's Luis Inacio Lula da Silva. He's just known as Lula. So it's very, very common just to call him that. And he did defeat President Jair Bolsonaro. And this is Bolsonaro's just after one term. And experts are calling this a rebuke to Mr. Bolsonaro's far-right movement and his divisive four years in office. And remember, if you guys recall, Bolsonaro was like kind of seen as this like Trump-esque guy. And they shared the same politics and stuff like that. And it's pretty crazy. This is a wild political revival for Da Silva because he was in prison at one point. And it seemed like pretty unthinkable. As far as Bolsonaro, he attracted global attention for his policies that accelerated the destruction of the Amazon rainforest. And the pandemic response, that near that uh, pandemic response left nearly 700,000 dead in Brazil. And then he, you know, started bashing Brazil's election system and everything else. Remember, Brazil is one of the world's largest democracies. And he kind of, again, echoing Trump, he criticized the nation's electronic voting machines and suggested that he might not accept a loss. And indeed, it took him a while. He has not formally, formally conceded as of yet, although he did issue a statement. I'll get to that in a moment. But also, it should be noted, this is the first time an incumbent president failed to win re-election in the 34 years of Brazil's modern democracy. But this was also the narrowest margin of victory in 34 years of Brazil's modern democracy. Lula got 50.90% of the votes versus Bolsonaro's 49.10% of the vote, and that was with 99.98% of the vote counted. Notice how they did the vote counting like almost immediately and in like one day. Yeah, don't get me started. Uh, De Silva, by the way, he's a 77, former metal worker union guy. He's only got a fifth grade education. But he did, led Brazil, he did lead Brazil during their boom in the first decade of the century, but then he was later convicted on corruption charges after he led office, left office, and he spent 580 days in prison. Last year, the Supreme Court threw out those convictions, ruling that the judge in his case was biased, and then the voters started rallying behind Lula. And this victory pushes Brazil back to the left. And this does extend that string of leftist victories across Latin America uh, for various reasons. I've talked about those elections, but one of the big reasons is just anti-incumbent backlash. But six of uh, Latin America's seven largest countries have now elected leftist leaders since 2018. All right, well, we'll see how it goes. But this is veering wildly from one extreme to the other. And... It's very, it's just convoluted down there. Uh, by the way, Bolsonaro is 67 years old, and now he might face all kinds of investigations. Uh, they say he has some potential involvement in disinformation operations, and he's avoided any consequence from those investigations so far because he has immunity as president, but he leaves office on January 1st, and then who knows what happens after that. Meanwhile, they're freaking rioting in the streets down there, Lots of social media videos, some of them very graphically violent. But you saw Bolsonaro supporters 
by the tens of thousands massing outside military bases across the country. And according to them, this is going to sound familiar, they said they're there to save democracy from a rigged election. And there was only one way to do so. The armed forces needed to take control of the government, which sounds familiar in Brazil because they had a two-decade military dictatorship until 1985. So Bolsonaro... He did agree to a peaceful transfer of power after staying silent for like two days following the loss. Although, again, he did not formally concede. And the protesters are using the same thing. You know, they're using WhatsApp and Telegram and using it to communicate with each other to ignore uh, or organize with each other. So I'll be interested to see what happens with that. There was... You know, dozens and dozens of these protests, people killed. Uh, I don't have how many people exactly were killed because this is still going on. Um, there was a pro- there was an attack against protesters in a midside si- city north of Sao Paulo when a car drove into the crowd that injured eleven people, but one man was arrested on attempted murder charges. Very good, Brazil. Another election was in Israel. Yes, and he's back, Benjamin Netanyahu. He came back, and uh, barring a last-minute change, Benjamin Netanyahu will be the returning prime minister, and he will form a government with a far-right block. And most of the leaders of that block do uh, think the settlers should seek to end the Palestinian autonomy in parts of the occupied West Bank, expel those they deem disloyal to Israel, and make it easier for soldiers to shoot at Palestinians while on duty. For example, one of their leaders is a guy named Itamar Ben-Gvir. And until recently, he had hung a large photograph of an Israeli who shot dead 29 Palestinians in a West Bank mosque in 1994 on his wall at home. And he still has a picture of an extremist rabbi, <laughs> great phrase, named Meir Kahane. He sought to strip Arabs of their Israeli citizenship. So what exactly happened in this election? I know this isn't the most sexy thing in the world, but bear with me. It's almost over, but it's very important world news, uh, obviously. You guys know, I've talked about in the past, Israel's been going through this like crazy, weird election time. This was their fifth election since 2019. So they're calling this the most, potentially, most right-wing government in Israeli history. Um, and the, the far right has been mainstreamed much more over there with this election. So, Israeli identity is up for grabs is a takeaway as far as the extent to which Israel should be defined by its Jewishness, right? So, the current government, before this one takes power, has a lot more diversity because it was formed with eight ideologically diverse parties, including the first Arab party to join an Israeli governing coalition. And so they're saying, basically, this is a big question. Is Israel going to be an Israeli state or is it going to be a Jewish state? 
So the Israeli left, by the way, the left wing in Israel, they got blasted, dude. They were they used to be a huge force in Israeli politics, but now the secular Israeli left has uh, been pretty much crushed. Labor was the main party of the government. They only won about 3.5% of the vote. That barely crossed the threshold needed to make it into parliament at all. And that would leave the Jewish-led left with just five seats in the 120-seat parliament there. And the Arab minority is also divided. Arab voters were split between those who support Arab involvement in Israel's government. At least 170,000 people voted for something called RAM, R-A-A-M. That's an Islamist party that broke a taboo last year by joining the outgoing government. That was the one I alluded to earlier, the first independent Arab party to join a government. And at least 130,000 voted for something called Balad, a Palestinian nationalist party that saw Ram's decision as a betrayal, you know, to join up with the Israelis. So they aren't on the same page either. Lots going on with the elections. Wait till we get to ours, which should be a friggin' hoot. I I know I, for one, am, am very, very much looking forward to that. What else do I want to get to? Well, I mentioned I wanted to talk about the uh, South Korea Halloween deaths that I talked about a couple weeks ago. They're calling this now is completely, uh, it was completely avoidable. I mean, they've had huge shows in South Korea, like, you know, the K-pop group, BTS. They've had shows in South Korea. They've had, you know, tens of thousands of people there. And the police were ready to go. And they have political protests. They keep the, you know, crowds under wraps. But this didn't happen on Saturday because the cops had only assigned 130, uh, Saturday night of the crush accident. The cops had only assigned 137 officers to the area. And most of those were ordered not to direct the crowd, but look out for crimes like sexual harassment, theft, and drug use. And then, you guys know the rest of it, more than 150 people died in that narrow alleyway in Taiwan, the entertainment district in central Seoul, because it's Halloween night, and it's a big thing over there, and uh, they like to party. But the opposition party... Of course, you know, they're going to make some hay out of this. But they said this was a man-made disaster. But it's a little bit harder. I mean, you know, BTS or a huge K, you know, K-pop crowd, you kind of know what you're getting. And I know they probably figured the place would be crowded, but it's not like the same as like an organized event where you know 50,000 people are going to show up. Uh, so, yeah, no government agency seems prepared to take full responsibility. And... South Korea's home minister, Lee Sang-min, he's saying, well, look, the police forces were overextended throughout the city on Saturday to deal with large anti-government and other protest rallies, which have been growing in recent months. Now, as far as numbers, cops did think there would be a crowd of about 100,000 people each day during the Halloween weekend, but it came up a lot more than that because traffic data from the Seoul subway showed that, you know, over 130,000 passengers were using the Taiwan train station. And that was a lot more than in previous weekend holidays. So, I mean, you know, these, what are you going to do? These things happen and, you know, oftentimes it's spontaneous, these crowd crushes and what can you do? Okay. 
let's have something more amusing than all of this grim election news and crowd news and go to Zambia. And this was from an African newspaper. A 30-year-old man named John Chipulu of somewhere called Mansa, and I'm reading from GNNLiberia.com, has been arrested for allegedly having sexual penetration of a she-goat in both the anus and vagina. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Oh, boy. They said the incident occurred between October 27th, 2022, around 9 o'clock. Oh, and, oh, I thought it happened twice, but they said uh, they're saying this. It happened between like 9 p.m. and then 0500 in the morning. So somewhere about, about that time. And the owner of the goat said that the goat was kept up and tied to a tree close to the house. Oh, okay. The goat was found dead. Oh, the goat was found dead and untied from the tree with visible human footprints. They started following the footprints, which led to the suspect's house, who admitted to have stolen the goat and took it to his house where he had carnal knowledge of it and later pushed a stick into its vagina, causing it to die instantly. Good Lord. That was from the... Uh, police deputy spokesman. And then, yes, when officers took the goat for postmortem, results revealed that there was evidence of sexual penetration on the goat's anus and vagina. Very good. Oh, my God. Ay, ay, ay. I need a break from that. Let's, let's go somewhere else. Okay, we have to do an update on my favorite conspiracy theory of last week. I had a lot of fun with it last week. And let's talk about Paul Pelosi. The attack on him, and uh, of course, Paul Pelosi has left the hospital, thankfully, and he sounds like he's going to be okay, which is fucking miraculous, considering he got swatted in the dome by a hammer as the cops apparently were standing around there shaking their fingers going, now you two stop that. I don't know what they were doing, uh, but let's, uh, I got a few stories on this. First of all, yes, it has been confirmed. He is the attacker, David DePape. I've also heard DePape, and, but I'm just going to go with DePape because nobody seems to know the right pronunciation. It has been confirmed that he is an illegal alien. He is a Canadian illegal alien. He legally entered the United States in 2008. But he has had an expired immigration status for years. He's 42 years old. Just a quick uh, recap. He broke into David and Nancy Pelosi's home in San Francisco on Friday. Of course, Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House. He entered the U.S. legally from Mexico through a port of entry in California. So, well, that's new. I, I thought he entered from Canada because he's a Canadian citizen. But typically, Canadian visitors who travel to the U.S. for work or pleasure are admitted for six months. So he's been here since 2008, obviously long overstaying. So prosecutors say DePape's intent was to take the House Speaker hostage to seriously harm her and make her an example to other members of Congress. Right now, he is facing several state and federal charges, including attempted kidnapping, assaulting a relative of a federal official, attempted murder, elder abuse, and assault with a deadly weapon. Remember, Nancy Pelosi was not uh, there at the time. So Paul Pelosi's 82. 
And uh, yes, there was a lot of conspiracy theories. And yes, I enjoyed the memes as much as everybody else. But uh, like I said last week, you know, I, I had a lot of questions because, again, if the cops are vague and don't give answers and then change stories all the time, that's when conspiracy theories start. And then they blame you for believing conspiracy theory. Now, it's it it seems pretty clear. Like and like I said this last week. Like I had fun with it. At the end of the day, I was like, this sounds like some fucking nut who was looking into all the weirdo conspiracy websites and he decided like Nancy Pelosi. And even though he is some like wacky nudist who's living in Berkeley at the BLM LGBT compound. Yeah. He's like, he was like into the, you know, QAnon and, and all that crap. And that's much more of a spillover than one might think. So the, Interesting thing is California is a sanctuary state. You guys remember that? That was passed a few years ago. So are they do you think they're gonna call ICE when he's gets out of jail? But he probably will never be released from jail, honestly. He's he's been denied bail. And um immigration and customs of enforcement officials did tell local law enforcement to notify the agency before releasing him from custody. But they again the state prosecutors are saying that uh, they don't want him released on any bail at all so yes yeah interesting according to the 2020 department of homeland security canadians represented the large second largest group of people after mexicans who stay in the country beyond the time they were authorized and remember a huge part of illegal immigration is the visa overstay it's very difficult to document these people who move in and out of the U.S. via land routes. And that's the method most often used by Canadians and Mexicans compared to people who travel by air. Uh, and also, you know, DePape is homeless, uh, blah, blah, blah. Apparently he told police after the attack that he was tired of, quote, lies, end quote, coming out of Washington. And he had planned to attack other prominent state and local politicians. So here's this is so he's got a public defender, right? And the public defender is saying his defense could include arguing that his client had a vulnerability to misinformation and conspiracy theories. That defense is similar to one that several people charged in a January 6, 2021 attack on the Capitol views, but so far that has washed out completely. At the end of the day, we're all responsible for our own decisions. So you can't fucking just say Oh, I read this QAnon stuff, and I, I heard a Trump speech, and then I went out and hammered an old man in the head. And so, But it's not my fault, because uh, I read stuff online. It doesn't work that way, guy. But a lot of the weird stuff about it, the, the questions were funny. I actually have a story here. I, there, there is a uh, filing by prosecutors. If you guys want to go read, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but they have the actual PDF filing at the New York Times website, and uh, the, the headline is, Read the Document that Reveals New Details About the Pelosi Attack. So if you guys Google that, New York Times, they have the actual uh, the PDF document with all of the charges and all of the violations and all this. So they have a statement of facts page, and he the, the, the Pape smashed through a window in a back door, and then he was standing over Pelosi's bedside just after 2 a.m. 
And he woke him up by asking, quote, are you Paul Pelosi, end quote. And he did. Here's one question answered. Defendant carried a large hammer in his right hand. Okay, because remember, I was asking last week, where'd the hammer come from? He was also carrying several white plastic zip ties in his left hand. Then he repeated, quote, where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? End quote. Pelosi responded, she's not here. (laughs) And he then said, well, when is she going to be back? Paul Pelosi says she's in Washington. She's not going to be back for a couple days. Defendant responded, okay, well, I'm going to tie you up. Hmm. Yeah, this is, I, I would love to read this whole thing because it's very, very detailed. Let me get to some of the part that matters. Okay, here's where he, he asked to, um, uh, oh, yeah, here's where he asked to use the bathroom, Pelosi. Remember that came up last week. Defendant said, okay. Pelosi stood up and walked to the bathroom where his phone was charging. Standing in the bathroom, Pelosi grabbed his phone, turned it on, called 911, put the phone on speaker. And the defendant was standing about three feet away. So I don't know if he's in the bathroom or out of it, because I asked last week, if you went into the bathroom and he's standing outside, why wouldn't you just close the door, fucking deadbolt it, and wait for the cops to show up? And then during the call itself, Pelosi said there was a gentleman there waiting for his wife to come back. Um... And to defuse the situation, Pelosi told the dispatcher that he did not need fire, police, or medical assistance. Uh, And then, yes, the dispatcher was trying to figure out what the hell is going on at this point. And Pelosi stated, "Uh, you know, I got a guy here, but he thinks everything good. Um, I've got a problem, but he thinks everything's good. So he's trying to be subtle about it, right? Uh. When the dispatcher told Mr. Pelosi to call back if he changed his mind, Pelosi then quickly responded, quote, no, 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 this gentleman just uh, came into the house uh, and he wants to wait for my wife to come home. The dispatcher then asked Pelosi if he knew the person, and Pelosi said he did not. Like, fucking at that point, you're like, okay, figure it out. And this is funny. The dispatcher then asked Mr. Pelosi for his name and address. I guess they, I thought that came up on 911 calls, no? Uh, yes, and the dispatcher eventually figured it out, and she issued a priority A well-being check. So here's the part with the cops, because I've been I blasted them last week. Like, what do you? Why were you standing there? So apparently, it was Pelosi. This was the other conspiracy theory that there was a third guy there, because that's what the police put out and Politico put out that there was a third, a, an unknown person at. at Enter, uh, open the door when the police arrived. It was Pelosi. So they both at this point had their hands on the hammer because DePape had come right up to Pelosi with the hammer upright in his hand. And that's when Pelosi reached out and put his hand on the handle of the hammer. So when the cops rang the doorbell, Pelosi opened the door with one hand. Pelosi greeted them. When officers asked what was going on, DePape smiled and said, everything's good, and pulled his hand towards his body. And Pelosi had one hand on top of the handle near the hammer itself. I know this is very detailed. One officer ordered, quote, drop the hammer. At the same time, defendant raised the hammer and said, um, nope. Defendant tried to pull the hammer away from Pelosi, which twisted Mr. Pelosi's arm back. And then the officer asks, what's going on here? <laughs> Dude, don't you know whose house you're going? You would think that who's bigger in San Francisco than Nancy Pelosi? And plus, 
they have like protests outside her house like all the time. So are the cops not aware of who lives there? But yeah, that's when after the cop says what's going on here, the defendant, DePape, wrenched the hammer away, immediately stepped back, lunged at him, and then he fucking struck him in the head at full force with the hammer. And then only then the officers rushed into the house tackled the defendant and disarmed him. So I encourage you to go read the whole thing because it is, it is uh, pretty fascinating. So there are like still um, some questions involved. Um, so, you know, the conspiracy, as far as the conspiracy theories, because a lot of people are saying like, well, they say DePape smashed his shoulder through a glass window early, but... Then they released pictures about glass outside the back door. It's making it look like it was smashed from the inside and, and all that. And uh, also, and then the other thing is, is weird. Prosecutors are refusing to release the police body cam. Hmm. Why? Uh, District Attorney Brooke Jenkins, she's the guy, she's the chick who defeated Chessa Baudin in that recall earlier this year. She refused to release details beyond what was already in court filings. Uh, yes. And then this was just the other kind of strange thing. So NBC news did a story where they had like a video segment and they not only ran the story, the today show tweeted the story out, but they've now deleted the tweet and they deleted the whole video segment as well. Because on Friday, yesterday, NBC news, national correspondent, Miguel, Almaguer went on NBC with a new reporting, with a news reporting that said that the victim had not told police it was an emergency when they arrived and he did not step away from the assailant. Um, and I'm going to play the clip of the audio in a minute, but the, the, the thing that everybody jumped on is that Miguel said that the 82-year-old, when, when he opened the door, did not immediately declare an emergency or try to leave his home, but instead began walking several feet back into the foyer towards the assailant and away from police. So very soon, NBC pulled the report from its social media and its website, and in their place, they left a message. And the message read, quote, this piece has been removed from publication because it did not meet NBC News reporting standards, end quote. So now, again, this only feeds the conspiracy. Like, if there's a huge mistake, then just say it. So I'm, let me play the news clip here, and you guys see what Craig, you think. Good morning. When officers arrived here at the Pelosi home exactly a week ago today, they initially didn't have any idea exactly what was going on. They knew they had a high-priority call on their hand. What was unclear, what was happening inside the property just behind me. This morning, Paul Pelosi is home, back at the house that became a crime scene a week ago today. NBC News learning new details about the moments police arrived. Sources familiar with what unfolded in the Pelosi residence now revealing when officers responded to the high-priority call, they were seemingly unaware they'd been called to the home of the Speaker of the House. Uh, idiotic After a right knock there. and announce, the front door was opened by Mr. Pelosi. The 82-year-old did not 
not immediately declare an emergency or tried to leave his home, but instead began walking several feet back into the foyer toward the assailant and away from police. It's unclear if the 82-year-old was already injured or what his mental state was, say sources. According to court documents, when the officer asked what was going on, defendant smiled and said everything's good. But okay, so you, you understand the rest of it. So they have, and I don't know if they just deleted it because that, that just makes it worse. Like, if there was a factual error, say what the error was. And, uh, yeah, just, and then meanwhile, Biden decided to get into it because he made a speech, he made, a, he made this big speech this week about democracy, blah, blah, blah. And uh, he decided to invoke the attack. Let's listen to Joe Take Biden. Hostage to interrogate her, to threaten to break her kneecaps. But she wasn't there. Her husband, my friend Paul Pelosi, was home alone. The assailant tried to take Paul hostage. He woke him up. He wanted to tie him up. The assailant ended up using a hammer to smash Paul's skull. Thankfully, by the grace of God, Paul survived. All this happened after the assault. And it just, I, uh -huh. it's hard, hard to even say. It's it hard, hard to even say. Hard after to the say. assailant entered the home asking, where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? Those are the very same words used by the mob when they stormed the United States Capitol on January the 6th. Okay, see, there you go. There you go. The fucking nut, nudist, illegal, alien, weird QAnon hippie. He's uh, everything's January 6th because that's the only thing they have left now. Everything's like January 6th. You know, I, I was thinking the other day, do you remember how like last week when I was talking about the Pelosi story and I said political violence is always unacceptable because not only is it immoral and criminal, but you also make your cause or your party, whether you're some Antifa guy or some fucking MAGA guy, you, you make your party like look bad or your constituency look bad because then everybody's going to label you, oh, you're one of those people. And I remember, like I said, the exact same thing on the podcast after the January 6th attacks. I was like, you fucking morons on January 6th who fucking beat up the cops, you know, stormed the Capitol and did all the foolishness. All you did is make your movement look terrible and you made the rest of the people the vast majority of whom just went to hear trump speak and then went home they didn't do anything but you made them all see like seem like fucking crazy people too and i also accurately predicted right at the time you guys remember this i said it the oracle knows i said they are going to use this incident I said this like a couple days after it happened to beat Republicans and you conservatives over the head from now until the end of time. And an easy prediction, of course, but nonetheless, to say I was correct would be an understatement on that. So just fucking totally stupid. Again, the most likely explanation is usually the right one. And, you know, it's it was pretty obvious that, yes, it was just a fucking crazed dude, mentally unstable self-radicalized and decided he was going to do something about it and fucking went to uh, go spew his conspiracy theory. So thankfully, Paul Pelosi did survive. Hopefully, he's okay. Fucking getting, in a getting hit in the head with a hammer. No joke, dude. Like, he's lucky he didn't die. 
And still, but that still doesn't absolve the cops. I mean, you have two guys fighting over a hammer. Why aren't you fucking going for the hammer, dude, or telling them to stop it down immediately? I mean, I understand this is like split-second stuff, but still, you guys got to do better than that, especially when somebody is obviously very, very old. Paul Pelosi, 82. You know, these aren't two 24-year-old jack dudes fighting over a hammer. You got to get in there. So... Luckily, and I have more political violence news later, so we'll, uh, but the the response to the newest political violence has been much more muted. You'll figure out why in a moment. So there you go, Pelosi. Yeah. I, although, again, I did enjoy the memes. Okay, let's keep going here. Well, I have to, as long as I'm talking about, you know, domestic stuff, I have to talk about what, for journalists, was the biggest story of the year so far, and this is Twitter. Like, oh my God, you guys, I cannot take the journalists on Twitter are going ballistic like an NBC News dope named Ben Collins. He's a reporter for NBC News. He has put out like 100 tweets about Twitter and how it's hellish in just like the last two days. And I'm like, fucking calm your fucking puss, dude. Like, he's so worked up about shit that hasn't even happened yet. And, you know, it's the same shit. They're all threatening to leave. But let, let me get into it. Let me get into what's happened. Of course, you guys know Elon Musk is now the Twitter CEO. It's not a public company anymore. And he has uh, cut half of Twitter staff. Remember, Twitter had about 7,500 employees. And I have not seen the media worry about corporate layoffs like this ever. They are just apoplectic over these poor, overpaid tech people. And most of them aren't even in tech. They're like the marketers and the fucking people coming up with who to censor and shit like that. And they were all let go. They're easily replaceable if he wants to. But the journalists were acting like the local steel mill <laughs> it just had just closed down. And all the blue-collar, hardworking union guys had just been laid off with like, you know, three kids each. And that's these are like fucking Gen Z you know, workers who drink matcha all day. I mean, get a fucking grip. But they, they went ballistic. But he did do it. And the way he did it was the first sign that some of them were laid off was when their email accounts were shut off. Still, after the email accounts were shut off, they had to receive no official word about termination, and some of their Slack accounts still worked. And some people, yeah, they did learn they were unemployed in the middle of the night. Um, so... During one late-night meeting about the Twitter Blue subscription product, one worker was locked out of the company's systems during the call. So it does, it does seem, it, uh, seem to be kind of haphazard at best. But yeah, roughly half the company's workforce, about 3,700 jobs, had been eliminated. And the cuts did hit across many divisions, including the engineering and machine learning teams, the trust and safety teams, those are the ones that manage content moderation, and the sales and advertising departments. Today on Saturday, Jack Dorsey, Twitter co-founder, apologized to the company's former and current employees in a tweet. He said, quote, I realize many are angry with me. I own the responsibility for why everyone is in this situation. I grew the company size too quickly, end quote. Musk did close his blockbuster $44 billion buyout of the company approximately a week ago. And now what's he going to do with it? This is the big question. Well, he's going to add new product features. He's trying to find other revenue streams besides advertising. That's his thing. Uh, he's obviously under a lot of financial pressure to make this work out. 
before the buyout, Musk himself has taken on $13 billion in debt. But the company has lost money for eight of the past 10 years and, like many other social media companies, face a decline in digital advertising. And I'll just use that to point out World News with BK is entirely ad-free and supported by my great patrons like you. So go to patreon.com, type in the search box BK Actual, consider making a donation. <laughs> I had to throw that in whenever I can. Uh, but it is challenging to run because that's what ads are, you know, that's the way ads are. And people don't pay a lot for ads. So the Patreon thing is, is good for me as a small business. Um, it's not a lot of money, but, you know, I have a lot of dedicated patrons. And I really appreciate that. But another thing is advertisings, the, like the activists are contacting all these advertisers and saying, well, do you want to be associated with this? Because there's anti-Semitism now all over the site. First of all, I have seen no evidence of, I've seen a few fucking, yeah, risque jokes. But now the adver- the activists are going crazy. They're contacting advertisers and say, you don't want to be associated with this, do you? And the advertisers are listening. Uh, Volkswagen Group pulled their ads from Twitter. So, on Friday, Musk addressed Twitter's layoffs while speaking at an investment conference in New York, and he said the cuts were needed because, quote, Twitter was having pretty serious revenue challenges and cost challenges, end quote. And he actually put out this following tweet yesterday. And Elon Musk wrote on Twitter, quote, Twitter is at a massive drop in revenue due to activist groups pressuring advertisers, even though nothing has changed with content moderation. And we did everything we could to appease the activists. Extremely messed up! Exclamation point. They're trying to destroy free speech in America. End quote. Now, Twitter's communication team was almost entirely laid off, so they did not respond to a request for comment. And I saw the Twitter communication team had like 100 people on it. I'm like, really? A hundred people? Unnecessary. So, yeah, and he's facing legal challenges from these layoffs. On Friday, five former Twitter workers filed a class action lawsuit against the company for failing to give advance notice of the cuts because California and federal laws require companies to notify workers in advance of mass layoffs. Musk said in a tweet on Friday that laid-off workers were offered three months severance U.S. employees were told that they could be kept on the payroll for two months before being officially terminated. That is a maneuver that could help Twitter skirt that advance notice law. I mean, obviously, I don't think he would just knowingly. I mean, Elon Musk has a few lawyers, too. I don't think he's stupid enough to just do that in violation of state and federal law. Uh, yes, and the employees are all like crying about it and staging like uh, group hugs and, and stuff like that. And the, the journalists, I think, are even more upset than the employees. So, but the, the advertisers are pulling back. So that's why Musk is trying to do the whole like Twitter blue thing and make you pay eight bucks a month to get the blue check mark and uh, various other things. Oh, here's here's some numbers about advertisers. There was more there were more than 1000 new advertisers on Twitter each month before July when Musk's feud with Twitter began to intensify and the number of new advertisers sank as low as 200. In September, there were 668 new advertisers. So, in my what my prediction, I think it'll fucking all calm down and I think everything will pretty much go back to normal. And as far as the eight bucks a month, I probably, because I use Twitter a lot for this podcast and news and finding you guys good stories, I will probably pay for it. One, for that reason, 
But two, a lesser but still valid reason is because this blue check verified user thing, it does make these losers on Twitter think that they're some kind of cabal of elitists. And I know if they are, trust me, they'll deny it to their grave. They are furious that just any person can get a blue check mark now. They are absolutely furious about that because they think, hey, I'm special. I'm a journalist, even though I have 3,000 followers and I write for some podunk fucking outfit that nobody's ever heard of. Somehow my boss's connections and got me verified. And they feel proud about that. So now I just think it's funny that everybody can do it. Uh, and then just uh, quickly, a few tangential stories about the the Twitter thing. I wanted to find this one. Here's the... Oh, here it was. Because... Musk said Twitter was losing money. He claims they're losing $4 million a day. Uh, obviously, that is unsustainable for a private company, so he is going to have to do that stuff. And then there seems to be a lot more fact-checking going on. Remember the old fact-checking? They remember it was only they were only fact-checking one person. That was the orange man. Everybody else could say fucking whatever they wanted, whatever crazy claim they wanted, and no, they were never fact-checked. But the White House had to delete a Twitter post. Because they misleadingly attributed a recent increase in social security payments to older Americans to President Biden's leadership. And the funny thing is about this, everybody was blaming Musk, but this was done through that bird watch feature that was put in place before Elon Musk became owner. That is a Twitter feature that allows users to fact check erroneous assertions because what Biden's uh, tweet said was it was the at White House account. It wasn't Biden's personal account. But the at White House account said, quote, seniors are getting the biggest increase in their social security checks in 10 years through President Biden's leadership, end quote. Well, that's not true because social security increases are tied to inflation. Therefore, the 8.7% cost of living increase that social security beneficiaries are receiving is because inflation is running at 8.7%. So I just thought that was pretty funny. And they did end up deleting that tweet. And uh, uh, yeah, pretty fucking hilarious. Uh, and then Musk himself deleted a tweet about the Paul Pelosi attacker. Yeah, he shared a link to that now deleted article suggesting that Paul Pelosi left a gay bar with David DePape early Friday morning. And yes, I want to thank the uh, many of you who sent me that story. I didn't even bother reposting it. Come on, guys, you got to be better than that. Yeah, that was funny. And he posted that, did Musk, in response to a tweet by former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, which claimed that the attack on Paul Pelosi was the fault of Republican mouthpieces. And Musk shared a link to the story. The story was published by an obscure outlet called the Santa Monica Observer. And that same outlet had previously reported that Hillary Clinton died before the 2016 election and that a body double had been sent to debate Donald Trump. <laughs> and they also wrote an article saying that Kanye West had been appointed to the Trump administration. Oh, that's too funny, dude. Um... So then, yeah, and now everybody is having who's having any like little glitch is blaming Elon Musk personally, including my girl, Alejandria Ocasio-Cortez. She gets on there, makes a video about Elon Musk censoring her personally. Let's listen to her talk here. I was at a community event in the Bronx in Co-op City. And when I get home... Swallow your food. 
I see a text from my team saying, Still hey, let me know if you need any help with this Elon stuff. And I was like, what? So I pulled my Twitter app and it's like gone. Like when you pull up your mentions and stuff like that, it's just like literally like a blank screen, totally gone. And I was like, hmm, that's weird. So it turns out we got under a certain little billionaire skin. No, you didn't. You didn't. It was just a fucking glitch. And fucking, dude, she's sitting there eating and chewing her food while talking. <laughs> By the way, huge pet peeve of mine. Please don't ever do that. It fucking grosses me out. Just hold up your hand. Give me a minute. Swallow your food. And then fucking respond. So gross, dude. God, she's so fucking gross in many ways. Although, she is still pretty hot. And yes, I totally would. Is that all I have for Twitter? That's all I have. Let's move on. A few other business stories, though. CVS and Walgreen are nearing a $10 billion deal to settle opioid cases. These agreements would resolve thousands of lawsuits over CVS and Walgreens' role in the addiction crisis. Um, But first, a large majority of state, local, and tribal governments must sign on. So since 2013, these Local governments and state and everybody else have been seeking to make companies across the pharmaceutical industry pay to reduce the ongoing costs of addiction, death, and crime in that opioid uh, epidemic that we've seen going on, especially during the pandemic. You know, so many, so many people died. And um, of the group of defendants named in the opioid litigation, which, you know, is led, which was filed by all these governments. These two pharmacies were the last to be named, and they were usually most eager to test the strength of their arguments in court because the pharmacies are like, hey, what do you want us to do? They sent us a fucking prescription. We filled the prescription. How is that our fault? But last August, a federal judge ordered CVS, Walgreens, and Walmart to pay $650 million to two Ohio counties. And, but uh, yeah, so they were like, well, how are we responsible for that? The plaintiff's lawyers argued that the companies had turned a blind eye to the vast quantities of prescription opioids they were dispensing and ignored a lot of warning flags. Uh, Walgreens themselves said they would pay $4.79 billion over 15 years to the states and $154.5 million to the tribes. That would also net, by the way, about $753.5 million in lawyers' fees. God, should have been a lawyer. Yep, and the ongoing epidemic, by the way, it has largely shifted to black market drugs. But the epidemic largely began with the abuse of government-approved medications, and so these city and county governments are like, hey, we've paid billions of dollars to try to deal with this, so you have to help out. Uh, Other business stories, Uber, they announced earnings and uh, their revenue is up 72% from last year, but they still posted a loss. $8.3 billion in revenue just for the third quarter. And that's pretty good. They did beat the prediction revenue. And they also lost a lot of money, though. What is it? The they posted a net loss of one point two billion dollars in the third quarter. Like again, how do you? How is this sustainable? And if you guys know, remember when Uber first came out? I remember like I'd get off the airport, pull up the Uber app, and there'd be like I'd have like ten rides 
within two minutes, all available. And they would take me to my place. I live about 15, 20 minutes away from the airport, and they'd take me there for like $15. And now I'm lucky if I can get one in a half an hour. If there's one available, they drop off all the time. Sometimes it's fucking insanely expensive. My buddy landed in San Diego airport the other day, and he was just trying to go about 20 minutes away from the airport, and they were caught. They were they were going to charge him like 90 bucks. I'm like, holy shit, dude. So I just wonder if they can even do this anymore. I'm not sure. You know, Uber, a lot of their money came from um, other stuff like corporate deliveries as well. So now another one company that's doing very well, Saudi Aramco, the world's largest oil company. And they announced earnings. Get this number. They said on Tuesday that they had earned $42.4 billion in net income in the third quarter. That is nearly double the nearly 20, I'm sorry, more than double the nearly 20 billion that ExxonMobil earned for the period. Oof. Remember, Saudi Aramco is state controlled. They have like a monopoly on Saudi Arabians' uh, oil output. So, yeah. And then uh, BP, the London based oil company, they reported profits of $8.2 billion for the quarter. So the oil companies are doing very well, and that's why the government's going after them so much. Biden is threatening on Monday to see a new to seek a new windfall tax on major oil and gas companies unless they increase production. Britain actually did enact a windfall tax on petroleum producers, and BP says they will pay about eight hundred million dollars under that tax this year. So making a lot of money, and. Obviously, the left-wing administration would like you very much to not drive a gas-powered car at all, which is why they don't mind gas prices. Of course, they can't say it out loud, and they have to pretend like they're doing something. Everybody knows that. All right, so let's talk about the elections. They are coming up. Uh, just a couple quick announcements. The uh, I have a live midterms updates here. Trump is going to go rally with uh, Dr. Mehmet Oz. Yep, they're, uh, Trump and Barack Obama are holding dueling rallies today, Saturday, on Pennsylvania. That's funny. Yep, uh, Barack Obama's there, of course, for Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman. And Obama, he's already been to Pittsburgh, where he made a noon speech, and he's now going to Philadelphia, where he will reunite, reunite with President Joe Biden who had already campaigned this morning on behalf of two Illinois representatives whose races are tightening, tightening up. So, yeah, tr that's going to be great. Trump and uh, Obama and Biden all in the same state. Yikes. Oh, and guess who else fucking came out of the retirement home? Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton hit the campaign trail today, Saturday. He was in Bergen County, New Jersey, with a former aide, Representative Josh Gottheimer. And then in other news, the NAACP and several other voting rights groups have sued Pennsylvania election officials in federal court as part of an 11th hour effort to get them to accept mail-in ballots that are received on time but not dated. That, that is friggin' ridiculous, man. So, so they, the, the NAACP, so they, that of course is the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, but don't say ever colored people. They should change their name, shouldn't they? They should call themselves the uh, the NAA. Uh, let me do the ac the acronym here. 
they should call it the uh, National Association for the Advancement of People of Color. So they could be NAPOC. That would be far better. And there you go. I just gave you guys the idea. So it's on the record. If they steal my idea, I demand uh, some sort of finder's fee. But yes, this the, the NAACP did this three days after the Pennsylvania Supreme Court ordered counties in Pennsylvania to refrain from counting mail-in ballots that lack a written date on their outer envelope. They did side with the Republicans in that matter. And they're saying, like, this violates voting protections of the Federal Civil Rights Act. Dude, I'm so tired of that. Like, dude, you're supposed to be a full citizen, a grown-up, capable of voting. This is, this is ridiculous. All this squabbling over mail-in ballots is so stupid. I've said it a hundred times. Mail-in ballots should absolutely not be a thing unless you're in the military or you're confined because you're very old. Other than that, we should have a national holiday because that way there's no excuse, right? Have a national holiday. You have to go vote in person. And then if it's only one day, we don't have any of this nonsense where they wait. Some states are waiting to count the vote, the mail-in ballots uh, until election day, some states count the mail-in ballots as they come in. Uh, it's it's absurd. And then it takes like weeks if it's a close race to figure out who's who. It's the dumbest thing ever, and nobody else is doing this. I said earlier, Brazil, fucking 100 million people in that country, they managed to get it all done. So what's the problem? This is stupid. And like I said, the fraud is not fake ballots or anything like that. That really doesn't happen. In my opinion... The fraud is mailing everyone a ballot like we do here in California. And then the activists in both parties, to some extent, then the activists just go to like places like nursing homes in mass and they go around and, you know, bring granny who's half senile, a nice, uh, you know, some, some Werther's originals and says, Oh, do you have one of those ballots? I can sit here and help you fill it out. And then they collect it and uh, make sure it's filled out in their candidate. And they can do that because the old law was, Somebody could collect your ballot for you, but they had to be a family member. In the California, in California, at least, we did away with that, and we allow anyone to collect a ballot. So, and that's what they do. They go to these institutions like hospitals, nursing homes, stuff like that. And the fraud—it's not fraud per se—but these people probably never would have voted, or they'll go into neighborhoods where people are too lazy to vote, and the people who never would have voted are now voting. So, it, although that's not fraud. In the broad sense, it is in the fact that those people never would have voted, if that makes sense. Uh, so, yes, and speaking of the election, i got a few clips here. First of all, The View, that TV show, <laughs> this chick on here, she compared to uh, white, uh, she compared you white Republican women to uh, cockroaches. Let's see how this goes. Um, I read a, a poll just yesterday that white Republican suburban women are now going to vote Republican. Why? It's almost like roaches voting for raid, right? It's, yeah. it's, 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 they're voting, they're voting against their own self-interest. Do they want to live in Gilead? Okay, so do we love okay. democracy or not? Because just saying that it's it's insulting to the voter. See, okay, let me stop her there. See, to these, remember how she noticed how she mentions the Handmaid's Tale, right? To these people... Nothing matters except abortion. That's what she's talking about. She's like, these women are voting against their own self-interest to have an abortion. I'm like, well, maybe that's not their self-interest. There's a lot of women who are pro-life, just saying. Uh, but Or maybe they don't already have kids and not planning, and that's not their self. Or maybe they don't think of it at all. 
and may, much more important to them is like I don't know gun rights or uh, you know parental control of schools or low taxes and other things. You don't know what they're thinking. But uh, yeah, I, I used to think I, I vaguely remember that people comparing um, other people to cockroaches as a ethnic group was bad. Like you remember in Rwanda, the Rwandan genocide, famously days before that, Radio Rwanda was going on, and one of the activists was calling one of the, the tribes uh, cockroaches, and we need to exterminate them, because that's what you do with cockroaches, right? But uh, she will, she'll be fine, though. She will not lose her job. And then I have this clip from this lunatic. This guy is named Michael Beschloss. He is a historian of the White House or something. He's written a couple books. He was driven completely insane by Trump, as were many people. And he goes on TV. He's on MSNBC in this clip. And he's just talking now about what's going to happen unless Democrats win the election. Remember, this is a well-respected scholar. This isn't some fucking nut activist out in the street. This is a well-respected published author, White House historian, all this stuff. I want you to hear how lunatic this guy sounds. Here's Michael Beschler. And a historian 50 years from now, if historians are allowed to write in this country, and if there are still free publishing houses and a free press, which, which I'm not certain of, but if that is true, a historian will say what was at stake tonight and this week was the fact whether we will be a democracy in the future, whether our children will be arrested and conceivably killed, we're on the edge of a brutal authoritarian system, and it could be a week away. Okay, there you go. So your your children, unless you vote in AOC, your children are going to be arrested and then murdered, presumably in camps. That They really think that. I'm telling you, these people's brains have been damaged. You know, people like myself, of course, I ridicule the QAnon people all the time, and so do left-wingers ridicule QAnon people all the time. It's a cult. It's a cult. Far less discussed, and, and that is true, but far less discussed is the radicalization of some of these formerly normal traditional liberals. Like, they have been driven mad. That's the only thing I can, that's the only way I can put it. I'm like, bro, log off, go outside, touch some grass, Fucking do some crunches, get the ab veins popping, you know, like me. I'm sitting here in jeans and no shirt right now, looking jacked. But go outside, log off for a little bit. I mean, if you're out there saying like, yeah, dude, like I would, I would never think like, oh, you know what? If uh, fucking who's, uh, if Gavin Newsom wins the governorship, which he's going to, he's going to be reelected easily. If Gavin Newsom wins, that's it. My children are going to be arrested. They're going to be murdered. Like, doesn't that sound like a completely bonkers lunacy to you? But that's perfectly acceptable for MSNBC. They're like, oh, yeah, that's a great point. <laughs> that blows my mind. Uh, here's a clip of Biden. Uh, he was on the campaign uh, campaign trail, I think. Uh, he was talking about, uh, I don't know, fucking manufacturing. Let's listen to this. I was just in Syracuse, New York, where I went to law school. And the company called Micron is investing $100 billion dollars manufactured chips, the biggest investment of its kind ever in America, in American history, $100 billion. Before that, I was in down and in, in, uh, a little further down in, in the middle of New York and an outfit called IBM. Uh -huh. They're investing in these chips for, for serious. Anyway, I won't go through them all. But <laughs> <I was just laughs> what? Serious what? what? Serious what? What are you talking about? 
I'll have more in politics in a little bit, but let's leave it for now. Uh, exciting astronomy news. Astronomers have found a black hole in our own backyard. Cosmic backyard, anyway. It is 1,600 light years away, and it is the black hole that is closest known to Earth. Now, they, they say it's dormant, but that could change. Uh, the black hole, the emptiness of it is 10 times as big as the sun. Uh, that's just an artist's impression. I was like, oh, cool. Uh, yes, it is in the constellation Ophiuchus. And then the next nearest black hole is about 3,000 light years away. So the black hole is not drawing the star that's near it into its gaping maw. I love that phrase. Uh, but it is not. It's, so that's why it's dormant. So black holes, remember, are objects so dense that not even light can escape them. And they, this, this is what makes them considered the most intriguing and violent phenomena in nature. Because when they feed, they can become the most brilliant objects in the universe as gas, dust, and even smaller stars are ripped and heated up and spew energy as they approach the black hole. Now, most every galaxy has a supermassive black hole millions of billions times more massive than the sun. Scientists are not sure where they come from. Smaller black holes are thought to form from massive stars that have reached the ends of their thermonuclear lives and collapsed. And they think there are probably millions of black holes in the Milky Way. Huh. Very cool. Now, as far as dormant black holes, it's interesting because these are hard to find. Uh, one guy at the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics, Kareem El-Badir, he's pretty smart, he's been searching for these for years. So if he's the guy who found this black hole. And he detected a star virtually identical to our sun that was jittering strangely, as if under the gravitational influence of an invisible companion. So they checked it out using the Gemini North Telescope atop Mauna Kea in Hawaii. And uh, they said the results and subsequent calculations were consistent with a black hole of 10 solar masses being circled by a star similar to our own. Very cool. So, watch. It's going to become non-dormant and kill us all. And then, you know what? Fucking elections won't matter, right? A uh, couple other interesting stories as far as archaeology. A Christian monastery, possibly predating Islam, has been found in the United Arab Emirates. It was an, on an island off the coast of the UAE called Sinia Island. And this is shedding new light on the history of early Christianity along the shores of the Persian Gulf. This is, this is the second such monastery found in the Emirates, dating back as many as 1,400 years. Those uh, to both the monasteries became lost to the sands and the sands of time, as scholars believe Christianity slowly converted to Islam as Islam grew more prevalent in the region. Now, there are Christians still in the Middle East. Of course, they're a vast minority, but they're... There they are. The monastery sits on Sinai Island. Uh, this is about 50 clicks kilometers northeast of Dubai. And carbon dating of samples found in the, in the foundation date between 534 and 656. Remember, Islam's prophet Muhammad was born around 570, and he died in 632 after conquering Mecca in present-day Saudi Arabia. And then there was this story. 
I actually had this one last week, but I thought it was so funny. I just wanted to get, I re-upped it for this week. In New Zealand, a 23 million year old fossil has been carried away by unknown parties. Yeah, this was on the banks of the little Wanganui River on New Zealand's remote west coast. There, the fossilized ribs and vertebrae of a whale have been embedded in a shelf of sandstone for about 23 million years. That was until last week. As local residents watched, two men, armed with a rock saw and chisel, cut the fossil out of the rock in broad daylight before rowing it down the river to a trailer where a woman was waiting and then driving off. Uh, I mean, this is, obviously this is not like huge. It's only four square feet, but it is like seen as a very cool and local feature of the local landscape. They did confront the men. Uh, a couple guys went to them and the men, by the way, had a kid with them, but the, uh, a couple other residents went to the men and say, what are you doing? And uh, the witness said of one of the men, quote, he was quite tense, end quote. And uh, the men claimed to have permission from the local Maori tribe, or the iwi, as they're called locally, to remove the fossil, and they said they were doing so to protect it. One of them was wearing a uniform associated with the New Zealand's Department of Converse, Con- Conservation, but it seemed to be out of date, and one person said the man seemed to be posing but then they kind of had to sort of leave it because what do you do at that point? Either it gets physical or you just call the cops or something. So whether they actually broke any laws by taking the fossil isn't really clear, but um, the cops did get reports about it. And a spokesperson for the local Maori there said they had nothing to do with any of this and they don't know what's going on either. So that's funny, dude. Yeah, this has happened before in Australia. In the mid-1990s, fossilized dinosaur footprints were taken in a bunch of thefts in Western Australia. A set of stegosaurus prints taken in 1996 have never been recovered, and that does happen here as well. All right, good archaeology stuff. All right, let's uh, do something more fun. Let's go to the UK, where... A female police officer, 40 years old, has perform, uh, filmed herself performing a sex act while on duty at her station, and she sent the video to her partner. Oh, man, come on. There's no crime here. Yeah. She's undergoing a misconduct panel. This is 40-year-old Claire Ogden. She was wearing her police uniform while pleasuring herself. Oh, I'm looking. So I'm looking at a picture of now... She looks very much like, uh, what the fuck is her name, from Rocky Four, The formerly hot chick that went bat cra- batshit crazy and married Flavor Flav or something. Uh, remember her in Rocky Four? She played Yvonne Drago's wife. Ugh, I cannot believe it. See, I, the Steel Trap mind doesn't work as well for celebrity names. Uh, she was in Red Sonja. Super hot at the time. Anyway. This chick looks remarkably like her. She's got this fucking crew cut. Very uh, striking looking. And uh, she did. She Yeah, that's what she did. Um, what happened? How did, they, how did they find this? Oh, 
The footage came to light after her phone was seized by her bosses who suspected that she had been accessing confidential data from the police computer and sharing it with a colleague as a joke. So instead they found her fucking diddling herself while in uniform. Um, when confronted, her excuse is that she was probably on her lunch break and that the footage had been shared with her partner during one of the COVID lockdowns. She did tell the panel she went downstairs in the office to use the bathroom. It was an ill-judged, spur-of-the-moment decision. I was caught in the moment. Bridget Nielsen, that's her name. That's a chick I was thinking. It just popped into my head. See, the steel trap mind might take a minute, but come on. That's pretty good. I know, but everybody's like, well, everybody should know that's Celebrity BK. That's not impressive. Yeah, but I don't pay attention to celebrities, like Hollywood stuff, so I really wouldn't know. But it was Bridget Nielsen I was thinking. She looks just like her in Rocky IV. So, yes. Uh, do they, does they have anything in here about like, what exactly she was doing? She had a lot of memes in there. and, and So we'll see if, she, uh, if the good constable gets disciplined or not. How about a few military stories? This was going around. The KC-46 tanker plane, they are now trying to get rid of the co-pilot. They're trying to see... Well, this is their cover story. They're trying to see whether a two-person crew uh, could safely fly a KC-46 Pegasus tanker in an emergency rather than a three-man crew. So a solo pilot and a fuel boom operator on October 25th took to the skies for two flights on a military test range. So flying tankers without co-pilots is one idea the air mobility command is trying out as they consider tactics they may need in a possible military conflict with china the air force has stressed that that approach would not be the norm mm. okay so it sounds like during the flight test they did complete a simple flight path before adding in refueling tasks the boom operator was co-located in the pilot uh, in the cockpit with the pilot, except for performing boom operations, they did call the test successful. Hmm. Now, now, do you think, see, the conspiracy theory is that this has to do with them meet, uh, missing recruiting goals. So, unknown. We'll keep an eye on that one. And do you guys remember, for my other military story right now, do you guys remember the former Army, the former Army Ranger who robbed the bank? That was back in 2006. 36-year-old Luke Elliott Summer had asked for a review of his 44-year sentence based on his age at the time of the crimes. This was a bank robbery in Washington State. And then, by the way, Summer tried to hire someone to kill a prosecutor. <laughs> but, but a judge apparently agreed that he had reformed behind bars and shaved 10 years off his 44-year sentence. That was District Judge James Robart. He reduced the sentence to 31 years. That's more than a decade. That's 13 years. Uh, yes, the staffers at the maximum security prison in Florida where he's being held did support Summers' assertions that he'd changed. And he masterminded that robbery at the Bank of America branch in Tacoma, Washington, while he was stationed at nearby Fort Lewis, which is now part of Joint Base Lewis-McChord, he recruited two other soldiers and two Canadian nationals for the heist. They equipped themselves with fully automatic AK-47 rifles, semi-automatic handguns, and soft body armor. They made off with over $50,000. But a witness who spotted the getaway car reported it to police who traced it to Fort Lewis. 
where evidence of the crime was found in the men's barracks. <laughs> God, stupid. Guys, might want to get rid of the fucking car and then, I don't know, walk back or take a bus or something. I, had, I was vaguely aware of this case, but I hadn't really heard of it before. Uh, Summer has U.S. and Canadian citizenship. And he initially claimed that the robbery was a political protest to draw attention to war crimes he saw while deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan. But he pled guilty to four felonies, including armed bank robbery, and received a 24-year sentence. But then he tried to put out a hit on the prosecutor. But the person he sought to hire for the job was an undercover FBI agent. (laughs) And then he admitted to trying to pay as much as $20,000 to have the official killed. And his sentence was extended. Oh, and by the way, while detained, he also attacked a co-defendant in the bank robbery with a homemade knife. This guy fucking nuts. Oh, well, this might explain it. In a motion for a sentence reduction, Summer said he was clean and sober after years of heroin addiction. Yeah, that would that would explain that. So he's not getting out anytime soon, though. But I know a lot of uh, a lot of Rangers, a lot of military guys know that uh, very that story well. Well, let's go to a few other ones here, though. And here's a great headline from the New York Post. Nurse taped sexual abuse of patients for Dexter collection. This is an ICU nurse from Colorado named 60, uh, Christopher Lambros, 61 years old. He was an employee at St. Mary's Medical Center in Grand Junction, Colorado. And he was arrested last week on three counts of sexual assault on a victim unable to consent Lambro's arrest came more than three months after police were called to the hospital on July 9th for a report claiming that one of Lambro's colleagues had caught him taking selfies with an unconscious patient's genitals. Wow. The hospital worker who tipped off the cops told them that she'd gone into the ICU room that night to check on a patient. When she entered the room, she noticed that the lights were turned off and the curtain was drawn around the bed. And when she opened the curtain... She discovered the patient lying unconscious with her hospital gown pulled up to reveal her breasts and the bed cover pulled down, showing her genitals. And she saw Lambros with his head resting on the patient's stomach with a phone in his hand in a position suggesting he was snapping a selfie. When he saw her enter, he dropped his phone and covered up the patient. Now, when interviewed, he tried denying it. He said he was giving the patient an injection to prevent blood clots, which is administered in the stomach area. And that explained why the woman's body was uncovered. Uh, he denied taking any photos of the patient, but they took his phone and, oh no, no, no. <laughs> they took his phone and a digital forensic analysis revealed photos and videos of the nurse posing with several unconscious victims and performing lewd acts on them, including quote, sucking on victims breasts and digitally penetrating victims end quote. One clip allegedly showed Lambros sexually assaulting a patient while whispering quote, don't ever get rid of these videos. You need to keep them forever. This is your Dexter collection. (sighs) End quote. I made up the heavy breathing, but I'm assuming that's pretty much what he did. He was apparently referring to 
the fictional serial killer Dexter Morgan from that Showtime series, Dexter, Dexter, who collected blood slides of his victims as trophies. So he has been booked into county jail on $250,000 bond. They have said he was fired. So, wow, dude. What? That's a lot. They've been hitting the nurses hard lately, man. They're either like injecting insulin into patients and trying to kill them or doing terrible things to their bodies. Or It's fucking crazy, man. Here's another weird story. Stanford, the university, has removed an alleged imposter student from campus. This guy got away with it for almost a year. After living in nearly, um, he, he lived in at least five different dorms on campus for nearly a year. This guy, his name is William Curry. He allegedly presented himself as a Stanford student on various social media profiles, including Instagram and a dating app. Um, he had a whole Instagram page that many of his friends followed that he was Stanford's class of 25. So let me see here. Yeah. He wasn't just a person who was like trying to like, you know, do it on the sly. He was like interacting with people, you know, taking pictures, all this shit like that. Stanford told ABC news that William Curry was cited for violating the law and removed from campus in December of 2021, but he returned several times, each time with a new story. Stanford said, despite attempts to cite him for trespass, they weren't able to locate him until last week. He was caught living in the basement of Stanford's Crothers Hall and issued a stay-away order. Uh, This is so weird. There's no... So far, no charges have been filed. The Santa Clara County District's Attorney's Office is reviewing the case, but yeah, very, very strange. The, the, actually, the, uh, the university's newspaper, the Stanford Daily, reported on this. They have a picture of this guy? Oh, yeah, they do. Yeah, his Instagram profile is uh, William Curry underscore. And he then they've got, oh, the dating app looks like tw- Tinder. It says he's 20 years old. That's fucking hilarious. Did it for almost a year, though. What else? We had a shark shark attack here in San Diego. A swimmer was attacked by a shark off of 17th Street in Del Mar. Uh, They do think it's not that serious. They think it was a juvenile shark, but a juvenile great white. They have been known to swim the coast this time of year. Uh, She was rushed to the emergency room. She's in recovery now. That's really all the detail I have so far. They did say the injuries are not life-threatening. So, yeah, being a shark, fucking getting bumped by a shark in Del Mar. That sucks. Okay, let's go to what else? Oh, man, I had a great story here, but it's now giving me the paywall. But um, this what I'll just tell you. I'll just tell you the headline is great, though, because basically in Qatar, which is holding you guys know they're hosting the World Cup coming up of soccer or football, if you prefer. And. They're taking stories from LGBT people who lived in Qatar on the DL. But yeah, dude, one guy they interviewed said that he was gang raped by a Qatari officials for being gay. Like they like he was trying to use a dating app also. I don't know why you'd ever fucking do that in Qatar, but he did. And apparently it was like undercover cops doing it. And they went and met up with the guy and arrested him. And according to him, then a bunch of cops fucking gang banged him. Which I always thought was the weirdest thing ever. Like, you hate the guy for being gay. So when you're like, oh my God, you're so gay. Now I'm going to bang you. Like, <laughs> didn't South Park do an episode like that where Cartman was like, dude, I know what I'm going to do. I know what I'm going to do, you guys. 
That's a spot on Cartman voice. Didn't he like do something like, oh, I'm, I'm going to take a picture of my mouth on some kid's penis and that'll show how gay he is? <laughs> yeah. uh, yes, we will now sodomize you to show you how gay you are. We hate gay people. Very, I don't know. I don't know, guys. I think I'm pretty sure that makes you gay. Okay. Uh, you guys heard the music in the beginning. That was the Atlanta rap trio Migos. Well, Takeoff, one of the rappers in Migos, was killed. Yeah, he was killed in a shooting at a bowling alley in Houston. 28 years old, dude. Yeah, a 24-year-old woman and 23-year-old man were taken to a local hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. The police said the shooting occurred after a private party had ended at 810 Billards and Bowling in Houston, if you guys know the area. And a large group of about 40 people gathered near the front door on the third level. An argument ensued and shots were fired from at least two weapons. Um... Yeah, and Migos, if you guys, some of you boomers don't know who Migos is, but they're fucking, they've had like tons and tons of hits. And actually, Takeoff was the guy in the Migos. He was like kind of unknown. He maintained almost no public profile, which is unusual for rap superstars. I did hear elsewhere, let me see if this Daily Mail article is, because Daily Mail always has the good details. I heard. They were playing dice. Is that true? Because I, um, I was looking at some of the. There's like a. There was like a lot of stills and stuff about his, or about his body and stuff. But I didn't see any of the video of the actually intended shooting. But they think it might have been just a stray bullet, and they weren't sure if it might even be friendly fire that killed takeoff yeah a couple people have been now arrested for other unrelated charges but maybe they'll find out the uh, guy who did it so yeah take i do like migos it's one of the few modern hip-hop groups i actually like so that's too bad well as long as we're talking about celebrities let's talk about kyrie irving the nba player uh he has been suspended he was promoting an anti-Semitic film. And general general manager Sean Marks of the Brooklyn Nets, that's who Kyrie Irving plays for, said that Kyrie Irving will have to meet with Jewish leaders and with the team before he can return to play. Now, these the comments, it sounds like he's suspended indefinitely now because this the comments came a day after the team announced that it suspended Irving without pay for at least 5 games because he quote refused to unequivocally say he has no anti-semitic beliefs nor acknowledge specific hateful material end quote in the film he posted about last week and then yesterday Friday Nike which has produced Irving's popular signature shoes since 2014, announced that they were suspending its relationship with him effective immediately and would not launch the next version of his shoe, the Kyrie 8. So Kyrie Irving posted a link on Twitter to this anti-Semitic film and posted a screenshot of the movie's online rental page to Instagram. And then... um. As fans, team leaders, and even NBA commissioner Adam Silver called for Irving to apologize, Irving resisted until after he was suspended. And then he did apologize in a late-night post on Instagram, saying, quote, To all Jewish families and communities that are hurt and affected from my post, I am deeply sorry to have caused you pain, and I apologized. End quote. Well, 
then the owner said, no, that's not good enough. You know, this is, the guy, he's done, you know, he did something stupid. He apologized. Like, what, what do you want? And beat him over the head with it constantly? He's just trying, he's just a basketball player, dude. What was that film? It was a 28 film called, quote, Hebrews to Negroes, Wake Up Black America, end quote. And the New York Times says that that film promotes several anti-Semitic tropes. And then on Saturday, after he lost the Indiana Pacers last week, Saturday, Irving reiterated his support for the film and for an anti-government conspiracy theory promoted by the InfoWars host, Alex Jones. So that kind of happened, and it's been a fucking big thing. I do have a clip of Kyrie Irving getting into it, and I believe this was um, this was about like six days ago. Irving gets into it with some NBA reporter at the after-game press conference that they always have. So okay, this clip has eight and a half million views. Wow. Okay, so let's hear how this goes. This is a week ago. Kyrie, okay, while we're on the topic of promotion, why did you decide to promote something that Alex Jones said? That was a few weeks ago. I do not stand with Alex Jones' position, narrative, court case that he had with Sandy Hook, or any of the kids that felt like they had to relive trauma, or parents that had to relive trauma, or to be dismissive to all the lives that were lost during that uh, tragic event. My, my post was a post from Alex Jones that he did in the early 90s or late 90s about secret societies in America of occults, and it's true. So. I wasn't identifying with anything of being a campaign, a campaignist for Alex Jones or anything. I was just there to post. And it's funny, and it's actually hilarious, because out of all the things I posted that day, that was the one post that everyone chose to, chose to see. It just goes back to the way our world is and works. I'm not here to complain about it. I just exist. And to follow up on the promotion of the movie and the book. Can you please stop calling it a promotion? What am I promoting? Put it out on your platform. But I'm promoting it. Do you see me doing? Do you see By me in front of the, it out there, the people title? People are going to say that you are. Yeah, promoting. put it out there, just like you put things out there, right? Yeah, but I. Okay. I, it's not. You put stuff. things out there for a living, right? Right, but my great, stuff great. is so not. Let's move on. Filled let's with move on. anti-Semitic. <laughs> let's move on. Don't dehumanize me up here. I've, I'm not. I'm not doing I'm that. You're free to post I can what, post whatever I want. So say that and shut it down and move on to the next question. But Kyrie, you have to understand that by I don't have to understand anything from you. It's not me. Nothing. By posting what you did, bro. Move on. But by posting what you did. Move on. Next question. Anybody Do you guys have any more questions? And they're going to say, you guys have any more questions? This is going to be a clip. Beliefs. This is going to be a clip that he's going to marvel at. Is this any more questions? But you're not answering the question. Uh, this is another answering your question. Oh my God. Let's make another Instagram clip so we could be famous again. Next question. Kyrie basketball related. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he was right about that. Eight and a half million views. And again, he has been suspended uh, after that. And speaking of the NBA, let's talk about a Spurs player named Josh Primo, who, while well, he's a former, Spurs player and a former performance psychologist with the Spurs has filed a lawsuit against the team and Josh Primo, who will be the sub, who will also be the subject of a criminal complaint for multiple counts of indecent exposure. Dr. Hillary Cawthon came forward Thursday in a news conference in Houston where she alleged Primo exposed himself to her on multiple occasions. Wow, this was six days after the Spurs cut Primo. 
and about 10 months after the first incident, according to Cawthon. She says he first exposed his penis to her in late December of 2021 and that she informed Spurs general manager Brian Wright of the incident in January of 2022. And and the lawsuit, her attorney says, um, instead of something being done about it, what instead happened was that they continued to call upon her to have sessions with Mr. Primo, basically ignored her. And she says he just kept doing it after that. Primo's lawyer, meanwhile, is calling the accusations, quote, either a complete fabrication, a gross embellishment, or utter fantasy, end quote. Uh, he said that he ne- Primo never intentionally exposed himself to her or anyone else and is not aware that his private parts were visible outside of his workout shorts. Primo's a young guy. He's only 19 years old, which his lawyer played up. Uh, and he was a lottery pick in 2021. So, let me see here. Anything else about Primo? Yeah, well, the Spurs cut him. Uh, he is a free agent as of now, but he's under, like, uh, also, yeah, he's under a uh, criminal complaint for multiple counts of this. So, man, come on. I know you're 19. 19 is old enough, right? Okay. Let's see here. Oh, uh, let me see. What else do I have? Well, let's talk about this other big story that came out of The Intercept and talk about the Department of Homeland Security and their plans to police disinformation. This is a huge thing this week. The mainstream media, of course, didn't cover it. But a couple of journalists at The Intercept, which is known for kind of doing these whistleblowing stories, have claimed the Department of Homeland Security is broadening its efforts to curb speech it considers dangerous. Years of internal DHS memos, emails, and documents obtained via leaks and a lawsuit illustrate this effort by the Department of Homeland Security to influence tech platforms. Uh, If you guys want to Google this yourself, it's called Truth Cops. Leaked documents outline DHS's plans to police disinformation. Uh, So yes, this is fascinating. They are really going to work hand in hand. As a matter of fact, a Microsoft executive named Matt Masterson, a former DHS official, texted Jen Easterly, a DHS director, quote, Platforms have got to get comfortable with government. It's really interesting how hesitant they remain, end quote. In a March meeting, Laura Demlo, an FBI official, warned that the threat of subversive information on social media could undermine support for the U.S. government. And, you know, this kind of started happening over the Russian influence in the 2016 election. Like, there was no... Uh, the, there was no like money changing hands, but yeah, I remember Russia, they made some fucking memes and they created some Facebook pages and blah, blah, blah. But since then they've really freaked out about it. And the DHS started really going hard during the 2020 election. And according to a draft copy of the DHS's quadrennial Homeland security report, this is their capstone report outlining their strategy and priorities in the coming years, they plan to target, quote, inaccurate information, end quote, on a wide range of topics, including, quote, the origins of the COVID-19 pandemic, the efficacy of COVID-19 vaccines, racial justice, U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, and the nature of U.S. support to Ukraine, end quote. (laughs) Well, the problem is a lot of the stuff about the origins of the pandemic and the efficacy of COVID-19 vaccines, that was, a lot of that came true. 
you guys all remember, all the experts are like, no, this happened in nature. And then that center report said, no, it actually probably happened in the lab. And then the efficacy of COVID-19 vaccines. Yeah, that was like, you were like kicked off social media. If you said like two years ago, like, hey, these vaccines don't do shit. And then it comes out like they don't really do much. Now, I'm not a vaccine conspiracy theorist. The vaccines statistically did have a good effect at keeping you from getting seriously ill or dying from the virus. But remember, the original claim is it kept you from getting the virus. And the CDC director came out and said that. Joe Biden came out and said that. And that turned out not to be the case. So, yeah, uh, I recommend you go read the whole thing. But that the, the, the bottom line is, do you want your private social media companies collude, like working with the government to police your speech? I mean, it's not against the law to have conspiracy theories. And it's not. The question is, is the government now going to force the social media companies to delete stuff that you do crazy shit, like the Paul Pelosi memes, right? I mean, if they're going after UK funding or the Ukraine funding, like what happens with that? So I'm generally a huge first... I'm, well, I'm a First Amendment guy. I don't agree in speech censorship by the government. I don't care if it is with social media and the social media companies are private. That's true, but it kind of violates the spirit of free speech. Like all the people worried about Twitter, right? They're worried about like, Oh look, they're, they're going to have all these accounts calling for anti-Semitism and, and you know, racism and stuff like that. And I'm like, well, good. It makes you easier to know which accounts are racist and anti-Semitic. Right? So long article and go check that out. What else? Uh, oh, more politics. Let me see here. This was interesting. Three of America's most influential Democratic governors are speaking to potential donors and staff about a 2024 presidential bid, according to a report. But they will only run if President Joe Biden does not seek re-election. Who are they? They are the governors of Illinois, New Jersey, and yes, California, as I've told you fucking many times. The governor of Illinois is J.B. Pritzker. The governor of New Jersey is Phil Murphy. And this was, uh, what is this report? Sorry, guys, this is poorly written, but I'm going to try to scroll down here and find out of the report. Hmm. They don't really say <laughs> what, the, what the report came. Bad, bad journalism, Daily Mail. But I did find it, I thought that was funny because Gavin Newsom just did an interview with ABC News, where he says, no, no, I don't have any plans to run for president. Let's listen to Gavin Newsom here. If Biden doesn't run in 24, would you? No, uh, absolutely. Why would I dress like this in an interview like this? You think I... I thought this, that's just a, a think, personal thing. You think this looks like someone running for anything, except perhaps, uh, you know, for my life out on the streets to try to solve some of these challenges we're facing here, not going to happen. Not Categorical no. No. It's, it's, I said sub-zero. I'm doing it in foreign languages. I don't know how to say it, how many times I have to say it. You know, we're gonna, I'm going to say with a hat on. I'm going to say with a tie on. I mean, you know, I don't know. I can say it. I'll say it in Texas. I'll Listen, say it in Florida. I don't know how many times you can you say You address it. national issues all the time. From I, you abortion know what? to guns to yeah. climate change. These are things that affect the entirety of... I'm a guy with four kids. It's just... I'm so pissed off. That's not, you know, not even gubernatorial. Forgive me. I can't take what's going on in this country. The last 50 years of progress, the rights revolution's being wiped out in real time by folks with a zest for demonization and othering other people. 
I can't take what these governors are doing, state after state, oh attacking minorities, attacking vulnerable communities. Oh, he's such a liar. Special Olympics with fines, going after the LGBTQ community, saying if you've been raped by your father, you don't have the right to express yourself by deciding what to do for yourself and right over your own body. I don't like it. I don't like it. DeSantis, was, uh, the way he talked about Fauci, you could disagree with people. They're bullies. Oh, they're bullies. Okay, yeah, he's he's lying through. Of course he's going to run. Of course he would. Why wouldn't he? He's gone as far as he can go as governor. He's going to win easily. Uh, just other political news quickly. I mentioned the uh, political violence earlier. Well, a, a, a Republican candidate's daughters, three and five years old, were almost killed after a gunman opened fire at their North Carolina home. A round actually landed close to where they slept. That happened on October 18th in Hickory, at a home belonging to Republican Pat Harrigan's parents. And his daughters were there, apparently. He's fighting for an open seat in the famously liberal 14th Congressional District. Um, and Harrigan, where, uh, yeah, Pat Harrigan is actually a former Green Beret and a firearms manufacturer. So. This is crazy. His opponent, Democrat Jeff Jackson, has been forced to pull an ad filmed outside his opponent's lakeside home, criticizing his ownership of a ritzy home in a neighborhood outside the confines of the district. Yeah, so the FBI is now launching an investigation. And same stuff. Dude, you know what? That's fucking completely unacceptable. And uh, hopefully, uh, gets, hopefully the guy gets arrested. I don't know that they've caught him. But Harrigan, he's 35, by the way. He's now demanding. He's now demanding that uh, Jackson, his Democratic opponent, apologize for that campaign ad. So, I, I don't know why. Like, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't like. Normally, I would say, like, dude, you shouldn't apologize because just because you did an ad and then some nut, like I said earlier, we're all responsible for our own actions. I will say that putting somebody's house, like where you can clearly see their house in a political ad, is kind of fucking lame. And because we live in these times with all these crazy people who've been brainwashed by politics, yeah, I would say that that's inadvisable. So stop doing that. And then in uh, other political news, quickly, this how about this one? A married South Dakota GOP state Senate hopeful has been charged with grooming and raping a child in his family. As the victim claims he installed a camera in her bedroom when she was 14 to watch her on his phone, 44-year-old Joel Koskin, a Republican running for the South Dakota State Senate, uh, yeah, grooming, molesting, and raping a female family member. She said the abuse began when she was 12 and lasted six years as she accused Koskin of making her believe it was normal behavior. Seems to be fucking legit because he has been charged. Oh, fucking gross, dude. Yeah. According to text messages from her, Koskin appeared to be tracking her movement when she reached out to investigators on May 6th. He texted her, quote, you promised you'd never do this. I'm begging you. You don't want to do this, end quote. Ay, ay, ay. Not good, dude. Fucking go to prison already. Uh, a couple uh, funny... Uh, audio ads here. Here's one chick. This is Kathleen Cavallaro, and she's running for New Hampshire state representative, but she doesn't seem to like America that much. Let's I'm listen 46, to this. and when I turned 50, and my husband is all better, we plan on moving out of this country and somewhere else in the world. 
No idea where yet, just not here. So my question is, is there a place we can move that people would be happy to have us that we're not gentrifying or colonizing? Is there a way to do this? I don't want to be a problem, but I need to get the fuck out of this country. Okay, that's a that's a fucking winning message from the candidate. Uh, then there's this one: a father of a Washington State Democrat running for the House, saying his son is lying about serving as a nuclear submarine officer and actually has a quote disdain end quote of the military. Former Marine, 55-year-old Brett Shavers of Kirkland, Washington, has accused his son, Clyde Shavers, 33 years old, of lying about his military history. Clyde is running as a Washington state representative. So, yeah, he says fucking he was never a submarine officer, not even for a day. Uh, prior to Clyde's, this is uh, the father talking, quote, prior to Clyde's announcement to run for office, he had asked me to explain his failure of the submarine officer pipeline training. I stressed to Clyde that he must, must be truthful and simply state he went through the many weeks of training, but he didn't, end quote, and apparently didn't pass. But then, apparently in his campaign materials, Clyde did choose instead to claim that he was a submarine officer. In an archived version of his website, he claimed to have spent, quote, more than eight years serving as a, quote, nuclear submarine officer and public affairs officer with long tours in the Middle East and Southeast Asia, end quote. Uh, so now it's uh, his website has since been amended, so it sounds like he was fucking caught lying. What are you nuts, dude? In this day and age, you're going to run for office with stolen valor? Yeah. Uh, remember Alex Stein, the comedian? He's the guy that at first I didn't like because he called uh, Dan Crenshaw Patch McCain, and then he confronted AOC and called her the big booty Latina. Apparently he showed up at a Texas governor candidate Benton O'Rourke political rally. And he started shrieking at him. He's asking him how many babies he wanted to abort. Let's see if we can understand any of this. Yeah. Hold on. Let me, this is like he preambles it a little bit. But they eventually like dragged him out. And um, here we go. Let's see if we can understand the first part. It's going from the beginning. Here we go. Let's see. On this democracy that we were talking about earlier. Beto, you suck. Beto, you're a baby killer. Beto, you're a baby killer. You're a baby killer. <laughs> here's, another, here's another angle. Okay, yeah, baby killer. Ah, uh, yes, I love this time. What do I have any more political? Uh, Audio clips. I do have a few ones. Here's a very weird Biden moment. See if you guys understand what he's talking about here. I've never heard this phrase. New York Times media reports is called, they call the report the Goldilocks report. I have a, I have my shotgun waiting for the wolf. Okay. Do you, do you guys know what he's talking about or have any idea what that means? Because I'm uh, kind of lost. And then Biden again talks about his son, Bo, who died of cancer in the United States. And he's trying to say incorrectly how Bo died. Let's listen to this clip. And they talk about inflation. You know, we're dealing with it for a whole second. Inflation is a worldwide problem right now because of a war in Iraq and the impact on oil and what Russia's doing. No. Nope. Excuse me, the war in, in Ukraine. Yeah, there you go. And uh, I think in Iraq because that's where my son died. The, uh, because he died. 
Yeah, but the point is... Yeah, no, his son did not die in Iraq, and it makes it sound like... That was just bad, yeah. Very, very bad. He did not die in Iraq. Come on, man. Uh, what else? I got a few more. Obama hitting the campaign trail again. And here he is trying to tell people, listen, uh, none of your fucking... Uh, grocery prices or gas prices matter. Democracy is on the ballot. So. supposed to be about. And, and I understand democracy might not seem like a top priority right now when gas prices are high and grocery prices are high. Sometimes it feels like government isn't making enough progress on the issues that matter to you and your family. I get that because sometimes progress is slow. This is a big, complicated country with a lot of different interests, and, and, and it's hard to get stuff done sometimes. But let me tell you something, Pennsylvania. We've seen throughout history, we've seen around the world what happens when you give up on democracy. We can see it in other countries where government tells you what books you can read. Okay, All right, you shut up. All right, what else? Uh, and then Trump held a rally where he definitely cryptically talked about whether he was going to run again. Here we go. And now, in order to make our country successful and safe and glorious, I will very, very, very probably do it again, okay? Very, very, very probably. <laughs> very, very, very probably. Get out of here. He's too old. He's going to be 80 pretty soon. Uh, yeah, so there you go. That's your political clip roundup. Quickly, guys, I'm starting to run out of time already. Let's do some headlines. Former heavyweight boxer charged with trafficking $1 billion of cocaine. Somebody named Goran Gojic. And he was charged in a Brooklyn federal court last week with trafficking over 20 tons of cocaine. And they said that, uh, yeah, they think he was a major drug trafficker who they believed conspired with an extensive network of drug suppliers, ship crew members, and port workers to traffic vast amounts of cocaine from Colombia to Europe via U.S. ports. He was arrested on Sunday at Miami International Airport while trying to board an international flight headed to Zurich. Oof. He's from Montenegro. He's 43 years old. He was a heavyweight boxer who fought mostly in Germany. His last bout was in 2012. Yeah, that's too much cocaine, bro. Uh, let's see. New Mexico woman has been... Stabbed to death with a three-foot metal sword by her ex-boyfriend and his new girlfriend. She was 21. He was 25. New girlfriend, 19. And now they have been charged with first-degree murder in connection with the death of Grace Jennings. That's the 21-year-old. Uh, by the way, they then tried to decapitate her. Holy shit, dude. Very nice-looking young lady. Her body was found in the garage near a bloody sword. Her body had several injuries consistent with being cut or stabbed with a sharp, uh, sharp object and injuries, quote, consistent with attempts to decapitate, end quote. Gross. Uh, let's see. Okay, guys, pop quiz. Who is Salah Abdeslam? Should know this. That is the Paris ISIS bomber. You remember him? He was the only suicide bomber to survive the worst terrorist attack in the recent history of France. Guess what he did? He married in prison. Yep. He took part in a ceremony over the phone from his high-security cell 
where he is serving multiple life sentences re- re- relating to the ISIS attack on Paris in which 130 people were murdered. So despite being under 24-hour surveillance in prison, he managed to form a devoted relationship to his new bride by phone. She is a woman chosen by the father of Abdesalam, and his father is a Moroccan-born 73-year-old living in Brussels, and he is believed to have chosen his son's new bride. <laughs> See? There's hope for all of you. I put this on my Instagram late last night, and I woke up to many, many messages about it. This is the transgender army vet who is opening up about horrific abuse she faced while serving in the military. 41-year-old Maxine Montoya is detailing the horrific bullying she faced while in the military. She transitioned in her 30s, and she now plans to increase her breast size to 4,000 cc's. And uh, what is she using to fund it? Take one guess. OnlyFans. That's right. (laughs) You got it. And I put the picture up. Good Lord. I'm just saying, and I know some of you, and yes, a lot of your messages would like, yep, I would. Very, very large breasts. And apparently, only to get larger. Uh, Now, interestingly enough, they have the picture side by side when Maxine was in the army. This is the Daily Mail story, you guys. And yes, it does appear that Maxine is wearing an Air Force uniform. So, yes, make your Air Force jokes now. Okay. Um, did you see, let's go to the UK again. Did you see that MI5, MI6, and GCHQ change nationalities for new recruits? Yeah, these are like the domestic and foreign spy agencies and what, what, what have you. They will no longer seek candidates with at least one British parent under new recruitment rules. People could previously only apply to those agencies if one of their parents was classified as a British citizen or had citizenship from an approved country. Now, new applicants still must be a British citizen, but you can now be a British citizen without one British parent, if that makes any sense. So that is, uh, you know, this is all, of course, for diversity, which they, the BBC helpfully points out, is now an operational priority. So, yes, they are aiming to find candidates from black, Asian, or minority ethnic backgrounds or people from a socially or economically disadvantaged background. Very good. Very important indeed. Uh, Did you see the migrants rushing the Texas border, the Venezuelans? They were being led by an artist and activist. He has been arrested. That was a U.S. citizen from Dallas named Roberto Marquez, and he said, yeah, he told the New York Post, yes, he organized the gathering of migrants who stormed towards officials waving giant Venezuelan and Honduran flags. And the situation then became out of hand when one Border Patrol agent was attacked with a flagpole and another was hit with a rock. And then Border Patrol agents responded by fucking shooting them up with a bunch of pepper balls. That was great. They at first thought it was spontaneous, but then they quickly realized this was far from that and it was obviously very organized. All right. Uh, Remember the story I did last week about the eight-year-old kid who climbed El Capitan? Well, now, God damn it. It does sound like they vastly overstated his achievement. This was eight-year-old Sam Baker. He began his journey on Tuesday, October 25th with his father, Joe Baker. And then on Friday, they finished. They posted a photo of him and his father at the summit. 
But now, according to witnesses and rock climbing experts, that's not exactly what happened. The San Francisco Chronicle is reporting that the technique used by Sam and Joe Baker was rope using rope ascenders, or commonly called jumars. So that, if you guys don't know, uh, just imagine you could like you're climbing a rope using mechanical ascenders to pull you up. You know, you it's too hard to explain. You're you're it's still a tough going. Like you're still hauling yourself up off a rope, but you're attached to the rope and you're using these. Uh, devices that clamp to the rope if you're a non-climber. And then you put one device up, pull up, then put the other device above the first one, pull up, et cetera, et cetera. And you repeat as nauseum. So this is ascending or jumaring. And this is ascending a rope, but it's without touching the rock face. So this is very much not climbing. And the, the um, one... Witness named Tom Evans said he never saw Sam or Joe put hand to rock and physically scale the face. Yep. So now subsequent social media posts from the family have stopped using the word climb and instead started claiming Sam had, quote, completed the youngest rope ascent of El Cap, end quote. Yeah, it's still, it's still a tough achievement, and but it, it's you're not climbing fucking a mountain, that's for sure. A uh, Tennessee death row inmate has sliced off his penis after being placed on suicide watch for slitting his wrist. Harry Eugene, Henry Eugene Hodges, received a death sentence in 1992, also smeared feces on the wall of his cell. This was following a disagreement with jail officials over a food package delivery. He was sentenced to death for the 1990 killing of a telephone repairman. And then, yeah... He did fucking cut off his penis. And then he cut his own razors. <laughs> how did he get the... How did he get this? There was broken glass from a window he had broken as well as other razors he had hidden. Okay. I don't know. So now you're on death row without a penis. What else? Here's a couple other audio for you before we run out of time. Let's go to this one first. This, did you guys see the barista... The Starbucks barista who had a meltdown because he was working. This this video has 11 million views. Let's listen to this guy. He's had a long day. People wonder why we need a union at Starbucks. And I am literally about to quit. Like, I, I don't know if I'm going to do it, but, like, I really want to. I almost walked out today, and I'm crying in the back room right now, and I almost cried on the floor. It's just... <laughs> I like I get I'm like a full time student. I get scheduled for 25 hours a week, and on a weekend they schedule me the entire day open to close. I'm on the schedule for eight and a half hours, both Saturday and Sunday. I'm like three and a half hours into my shift. There's so many customers, and we have four people on the floor all day. <laughs> Only five people were put on the schedule, and somebody had to call out. And there are four people running the whole store, and there's so many customers, and there's possibly scheduled five people. <laughs> we only have 13 people employed at this store, and there's so many customers. <laughs> we don't have fair scheduling. Managers don't care about us. Our manager was supposed to come in this weekend, and he took himself off the schedule, so he wouldn't be able to be held accountable for calling out. He just literally tore down the schedule. Okay, all right, enough. He's having a hard time. People were uh, kind of uh, giving him shit. It's like, oh, sorry, you have to work eight hours. I mean, dude, don't just quit. It's Starbucks. <laughs> it's not like you're making tons and tons of money. Just get another job. Uh, where was the other clip I wanted to play? I had some good racism. I had a good racism clip here. Let me see if I can find it. Um, 
Sorry, guys, I'm getting there. It just does take a minute. What's that one? That's not the one I wanted either. Oh, here we go. This is in Portland, Oregon. And some, I don't know the backstory of this. This is on the WTF Portland Twitter. It's probably on their Instagram too. But I, I think it's a African-American man filming this woman who's making art in a park. She's a, an old older white woman, quite obese. And she doesn't like being filmed. Let's hear it. Let's take your mother, rape her, poison her, break her bones, and then refuse the police to give you an investigation. Let's treat you the same way you niggers have treated me. Whoa. Get. And you can tell Christopher Holmes he can suck my dick. You need to get away from me, you piece of shit. You need to get away from me, you piece of shit. You need to get away from me, you piece of shit. You want to leave now, you Nazi fag? Do you want to... Hitler was a fag. What? Okay, lot lot going on there. So <laughs> Maybe he wasn't even... I, I don't know. Maybe he wasn't African-American. Because she also called him a Nazi and, and other stuff. But she's clearly completely insane. A uh, couple more headlines. Wisconsin man who wore Hitler costume for Halloween fired from the Madison Children's Museum. <laughs> uh, they did say he had cognitive disabilities. The museum said the man believed he was making a mockery of the Nazi party's leader when he wore the costume on a busy street near the University of Wisconsin-Madison campus on Saturday. God, imagine the libs fucking going crazy there. He was then quickly fired on Tuesday night. And uh, they said he has cognitive disabilities due to a traumatic brain injury and that his work over the last decade has been uh, supervised. Uh, the Madison Police Department said it was offensive and reprehensible, but he said wearing the costume is not a crime. I mean, if he's got a cognitive disability, was he a veteran? Doesn't say. I, mean, I think, that, like, yeah, it's stupid. Like, you, you just fire a guy that you gave a job because he probably can't get a job anywhere else. Where else is he going to work? All right. A prominent trans activist in New York has been arrested for allegedly solicitating a minor. Activist Lailani Munez was hit with a variety of charges. And this was over corresponding with someone who Munez thought was a 14-year-old boy identified as Josh on the LGBT dating app Grinder, according to the criminal complaint. Josh was actually a man who works at the nonprofit New York Creeps Spotlight who exposes people who target children. Munoz 39 began messaging with Josh, air quotes, in March and had acknowledged the supposed teenager's young age before soliciting oral sex. And, uh, no, come on. The criminal complaint states Josh identified as a girl, but the guy who actually did the sting operation told Fox News he was posing as a teenage boy. Uh, here's one. Here's some, here's some quotes. Munoz responded to Josh when asked if Munoz cared if he was only 14 years old. Quote, I'm about to shower. BRB. What are you looking for and into? Are you cutting school and looking for company? Lol. Are you into guys and trans girls? Any XXX pics? End quote. And then went on to say, no, well, called this one Munoz. Quote, I watch too much TV because I know you're young. It reminds me of that show to catch a predator where they set people up attracted to minors, end quote. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, they got you. 
A man attempts car attack outside Pentagon and says, quote, I hate America, end quote, court documents say. They just got the affidavit for this. An Ethiopian man living in Virginia who allegedly yelled, quote, fuck America, end quote, and then told officers, I hate America, is accused of attempting to attack federal police outside the Pentagon. 36-year-old Tamarat Yehualawork allegedly drove through a security checkpoint outside the Pentagon, speeding over a second security barrier and forcing police to pull guns and use their police vehicles to pin and stop his car near the complex. Wow. They didn't shoot at him. They did point um, guns. Oh, and then he apparently did not comply with officer commands to exit the vehicle, so they fucking dragged him out. He continued to resist as officers were putting him in handcuffs. He did say straight up, I hate America and I was trying to kill people. Uh, what they don't even say in this CBS news. Oh, they didn't. They didn't say when it happened. They don't give a hard date. But they said last week on this story, dated November second. So they don't give like a hard date when it happened. Well, that one flew under the radar, huh? I never heard about that. All right, and quickly, two-year-old North Carolina boy finds his dad's loaded gun and he killed himself. Fucking idiots. Police found Warren Bennett Oser at his family's home on West Watson Road, North Carolina, with a gunshot wound to his head on October 15th. This is just now coming out. Uh, the toddler, who was called Bennett by his family, climbed into his dad's truck through an open door, found the loaded Smith & Wesson 40 caliber handgun in the front seat. He was playing with the gun. He accidentally shot himself in the head. God, fucking unbelievable, dude. Beautiful-looking child, too. As I've said many times, it's so fucking hard for me to continue to come on here and defend Second Amendment rights when so many fucking people are clowns about it. It just really is. Uh, Zach Efron is being compared to a Shrek character, Lord Farquaad, with shocking new look. Yeah, so Zach Efron, I've made fun of this on social media. He's filming a new movie called The Iron Claw, and this is for his new role as some wrestler called Kevin Von Erich. And if you haven't seen, he's wearing this, like, you know, belt, page boy haircut, and he is fucking jacked. I mean, it is fucking ridiculous how jacked he is. And the funny thing to me is why I wanted to bring this about this story. I'm so fucking tired of people denying the steroids in Hollywood thing. Like The Rock and Zach Efron. Basically, all of them. Chris Helmsworth. It's so much fucking nonsense. You guys... When these fucking Hollywood trainers put out their workout and their diet plan, they always leave off the steroids. And there is always steroids. You don't want to call HGH or TRT steroids fine, but it's one of those. And they never talk about it. It's like, nope, no, no, Chris Helmsworth just put on 40 pounds of muscle in six months just by eating chicken and broccoli and doing hard weights. Like, get the fuck out of here, dude. That's not possible. Just like all the Instagram influencers and fitness are all like jacked and talking about like macros. The one macro they leave out is the enormous fucking quantity of fucking HGH and testosterone replacement and anabolic steroids they're taking. So please give me a fucking break already. Uh, uh, last quick headlines. Uh, paintballs to be shot at Dutch wolves in a bid to make them less tame. Hmm. 
there are there are fear they're doing this because they're afraid that wolves are becoming so unafraid of humans that they could become a serious danger. So now they're going to try to scare them off because they have like videos on social media showing wolves like just walking by families in the region's uh Hodge National Park. So paintballs have been chosen so that rangers can see which ones have been hit so they can kind of track them. But it's also, they're hoping that this will encourage wolves to stay at least 100 feet away from people. Uh, you know, I don't know, I'm on the fence. Wolves high on the animal hierarchy. But yeah, you can't have like a wolf fucking going after kids and stuff. And this is more homeless than, or I'm sorry, it's more homeless. It's more humane than uh, executing. So I suppose that's good. Uh, Canada aims to add 1.45 million immigrants by 2025. And this would increase immigration one week after the country's census agency announced that Canada had set a new milestone in immigration. Wow. And this is to address their labor shortage. Uh, One in five Canadians is now an immigrant. Okay, well, if you this is this is the big question, and it, at the risk of sounding like some racist nut, which I'm, I don't care, but this is a valid question. So, if you take all the Canadians, white European stock, right, and you take them all and you remove them, and you replace them with, I don't know, people from Asia, Africa, South Latin America, whatever, is it still the same Canada with the same culture? That's an eternal argument. People never talk about it because it brings up uncomfortable questions about ethnicity and such. Uh, I'm a fan of legal immigration because it's really good for the economy. I'm very against illegal immigration, as you guys know. But if Canada, like Germany is going to, if Canada eventually becomes like, you know, a white minority country, and they will, according to the numbers and the trend, then what happens to, like, the culture of Canada? Ice hockey. You know, how many fucking guys from uh, <coughs> fucking Myanmar are going to be playing ice hockey? And maybe they, maybe they will. I don't know. I just think it's an interesting debate. I wish more people would be willing to talk about it openly. But you can't talk about anything like that in our country these days. So, Food for thought. Uh, what else? Uh, let's go to... Where is this, anyway? Dude, these websites are becoming almost intolerable. You cannot fucking... The second I try to open one, it is just... You can't scroll. You can't do anything because of the ads and the autoplays and, like, the stupid T-shirt ads. Like, dude, I don't want any of this stuff. Let me see if I can show the reader view. There we go. A depraved man has been banned from being alone with a dog after he was caught having sex with his own pet. 36-year-old Peter Edwards was found to have abused his Labrador named Max and encouraged or allowed another man named Jonathan Barton to commit bestiality with his pet as well. The pair were caught when police examined Edwards' mobile and computer devices and found vile videos showing the abuse of the black dog, Max. Judge Stephen Climey described the sickening acts as, quote, bizarre and utterly depraved, end quote, but he decided not to send him to prison? Come on! Dude, what is it with these judges? Oh, the Edwards... Is that the owner? Oh, yeah, it is is Edwards. Edwards was also found, he was also pleaded guilty to three counts of making indecent image of a child and three counts of possessing extreme pornographic images, and yet he does not fucking go to jail. They say he had autistic traits. Get out of here. 
They do not say what the sex acts were, but, um, you know, let's fucking use our imaginations here. Poor Max, dude. Come on. And, uh, by the way, the Somali car bombs that I talked about the other week, that originally when I did the report, because it was just breaking, there was like a couple people killed. Well, at least 100 fucking people were killed in that car bombing. Absolutely fucking massive. And then finally, you guys, we have to go to the big finish. And here we go. This is kind of a follow-up big finish. Uh, this is a follow-up of a previous big finish. Do you remember who David Fuller was? David Fuller is 68 years old. He is the former hospital electrician who was sentenced to life last year after he was uh, after he pleaded guilty to killing and sexually assaulting two young women in 1987. Yes, you heard that right. Killing, then sexually assaulting. He is a former hospital electrician. And now, apparently, he has admitted to sexually abusing a total of 101 female corpses. 68. Yes, he filmed himself violating human corpses at the hospital where he worked that is now closed and they should be fucking burning it to the ground and salting the earth, uh, the Kent and Sussex Hospital and the Tunbridge Wells Hospital. Holy fuck, he filmed it, dude. Uh, by the way, he was arrested back in December of 2021 for those cold case murders that happened back in 1987 thanks to new DNA techniques. And the necrophilia came to light when cops investigating the homicides discovered his home videos showing him, yes, fucking balls deep in corpses at the mortuaries. <laughs> oh, God. You guys, I can't do it anymore. That's the iPad. That's the show. Two and a half hours. No breaks. No editing. I'm the only guy who's capable of doing such a thing. Really appreciate you listening. Uh, again, please go to Patreon. Com. The Patreon has been flat for a few months. I'm not going to lie. It's probably one of the flattest periods I've had. Maybe I'm plateauing. Uh, but if you've ever thought about making a pledge, help keep the podcast going, patreon.com and search for BK Actual. And you can follow me at BK Actual on Instagram and Bravo Kilo Actual on Twitter. So, guys, really appreciate listening. So, uh, I feel like this podcast, so I rushed through it a lot because I'm friggin' like smoked and tired and all that. I've been working on a lot this week, getting jacked, keeping it up. But I hope you continue to listen nonetheless. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next week. What the fuck? Uh, yeah. Water on my wrist and my neck. Splash. Look at this fluid. Splash. Uh, 200 shit on my dash. Splash. Splash. 12 on my losing. Hot commodity dope on hot commodity. The trap is on fire.